It's episode six of Auto Catch-Up, and it's a huge week of news. Queensland starts to relax some of their non-essential travel rules, as well as a whole heap of models either being axed or introduced. So stay tuned and enjoy the episode. It's another week. And it's another episode of Auto Catch-Up, and I'm here with Joel Strickland at Joel Strick Photo. Mick is taking a, a week off. We uh, had a little bit of a scheduling conflict and a little bit of confusion, so it's just going to be Ash and Joel this week, And um, but good to have you back, Joel. Thanks, Ash. Good to be back. And uh, so... With another week, I think uh, you're quite busy with editing some some videos, but uh, I've also heard along Grapevine you've been uh, watching a fair bit of iRacing as well. Yeah, it's been, uh, yeah, I've been working on a, a large project for a client, so uh, I have literally been in the editing studio, uh, editing away, finishing some videos and uh, and working on some on some projects, which has been, which has been good, but um, luckily most of the iRacing I've been watching happens of an evening, so I can kind of get my work done during the day and then uh, jump in and enjoy uh, of an evening. But yeah, it's been, um, I keep finding a new series every week and there's another new one starting tonight, which I'm uh, excited to watch, but we'll cover that when we get to motorsport at the end. But yeah, this week I watched, um, or kicked off from after we recorded last week, uh, I watched the World Rallycross um event which was uh absolutely brilliant to to touch um they had uh the e-sport version of the fia world rallycross unlike a lot of the sports with iRacing they actually used um a console which is predominantly console but you know most of the iRacing stuff is run on a on a PC uh, yeah. through the iRacing platform but um, the guys from World Rallycross decided to go down the the um, their official game supplier which is Dirt Rally 2.0 so um, when I heard about this I was extremely intrigued I'm already a fan of Rallycross and rallying but when I heard that they were running Dirt it's like oh wow this will be great I've actually played this game this will be really interesting to watch and then when it actually started. They ran it at Circuit de Barcelona, Catalunya, and I've played that course. So I watched it and going, oh, yeah, I know that. So I spent the whole night watching it, learning the lines and stuff like that, watching the guys drive. I mean, most of these guys are driving on rigs that are worth, you know, hundreds, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Uh, but it was pretty cool to, to still to watch and, and see it but yeah it was it was interesting um they ran um they ran it took about two hours to from start to finish probably actually more than that it was almost three hours i think by the time it finished because they had heats and qualifiers and stuff like that so there were there was um a, a quite a large amount of drivers competing but then they had to split them into qualifying races so it was a mixed up grid so we had qualifying for each group <laughs> excuse me there were four qualifying races for each group so they had to go through that a few times to then get to the end but um it was pretty spectacular to watch um it was really, really interesting the weather was random so weather was actually jumping between different um conditions so wet or dry or raining or uh, it was really really quite quite interesting so i took some actual esport drivers as well um they had eight and a half thousand people 
compete to trying to get into this 20-car field. Um, but, yeah, it was one in the end, and I'm going to probably butcher his name. Uh, Matthias Adielsen from Sweden was the end result, so uh, he was the winner. But, yeah, very, very cool racing to watch. Um, I got back and started playing a little bit during the week. Um, I've been spending some time trying to review the, the game itself. Uh, but, yeah, really, really cool. I've actually been challenging a couple of mates who have played the game as well to uh, to jump in and, and have a bit of a a bit of a go and and uh, and we picked a couple of courses and, and we're trying to beat the best time uh, during the week but yeah that was pretty cool so that was the start of my i racing week um, and then obviously supercars had their event. Uh, during the week as well um, but they ran from Bathurst so that was pretty cool to, to watch um, they had a couple of wild cards Will Power was there uh, racing he actually had quite a good event but again there was no uh, um no shortage of crashes and and uh, accidents and stuff like that uh, it was pretty pretty cool very spectacular to watch um and some really good racing. Scotty McLaughlin was in top form again. Uh, he raced, excuse me, he won um, uh, He won model races. McLo- uh, ben Gisborne also won as well, um, as well as Fabian Coulthard. So, yeah, we had three different race winners from three different races, um, two eight-lappers and a 14-lap, um, which was really, really cool to, to watch. Um, and then the other thing I managed to catch... Um, uh, during the or actually thought that it was on but realised it again yesterday morning was the iRacing um, Rallycross uh, from the US which was pretty cool to watch mm. so there's an invitational series it's being um, uh, it's being run at the moment um, through the US uh, Rally Series and uh, that was from um Sonoma yesterday. Um, so Subaru are sponsoring an iRacing six round iRace series, um, and the winner the winner gets to give ten thousand dollars to charity. So that's really wow. cool. Really cool to see that that sort of stuff uh, is running. So yeah, we ran Sonoma. That was round three last week. I managed to catch a bit of the Tona uh, event. Um, there's a really really cross section of drivers running. So Chris Atkinson, obviously the Aussies running. Um, Andreas Buckerin for who has run an FA World Rallycross. Um, but the interesting ones, Connor Daly from IndyCar. Uh, Tanner's running, Tanner Faust is running, Vaughan Gittin's been running, uh, Corton Herder from IndyCar, James Hinchcliffe, uh, who's actually quite a good steerer. Um, but the the guy that's been absolutely dominating is Mitchell DeJong, uh, who's from US Rallycross, and uh, he's an absolute weapon. He, watching him drive, he's very, very impressive. He started from the back a couple of times and came from the back to win. Um, so, yeah, that's a really, really good series. So um, if you want to catch that, that is on um, Saturday morning our time, um, early hours of the morning, about 8 o'clock um, our time. So it's starting on Fridays in the US at 6 p.m. Eastern time and 3 p.m. Pacific. 
Pacific time. Uh, but next week's from Lucas Oil Railway, uh, Raceway, um, and then they go to Atlanta, and then they finish at Hell, uh, Lankavan, um, which is a really, really cool uh, World Rally Cross course. Um, so, yeah, the, the iRacing's been really, really, really good to watch. There's so many different series out there. There's also the TCR series. They ran F3 cars this week, as opposed to running the out, the Audis in iRacing, because unfortunately, it's the only brand that they can, but they ran F3 cars, so everyone had to go on open wheelers. So for, for us motorsport fans that aren't getting a lot of motorsport, uh, this iRacing has been really, really good. The streams are amazing. The the replays and stuff that you get um, is just phenomenal. It's it's just like watching, you know, real racing. The commentators that each series are using. Um, it's actually an interesting crossover. The guy who's been doing some pit reporting for supercars is was actually commentating on the, the Subaru iRacing that I was watching for Rallycross in the US yesterday. Um, the guys that were commentating the World Rallycross were both uh, the current commentators for World Rally Cross itself. Um, so yeah, like everyone's getting involved. That's really really cool. Um, I reckon I've watched more motorsport in the last sort of week and a half than I have in a while, just because there's just so much on TV and so much to to choose from. And I think we're so lucky that with um, motorsport, the sim racing is a great outlet for people to. Yeah, like for, for drivers and for spectators to actually still get some sort of fix for that kind of thing. Because if, if you look at football or soccer or anything, any of those other sports where, yes, there are, there are games out there for that, but it's usually one player versus another player. You can't, you don't really have an opportunity to have an entire team playing against another team on, you know, on a game. So in motorsport, you know, it's great that we can have, um, all of these drivers even cross from, you know, crossing over to different um, categories and everything like that, coming in and racing. And not only do the games look great, but the physics are unreal, you know, like, or I should say ultra realistic, you know, in terms of the, the level of accuracy. Um, so, we, motorsport has been really lucky in that way that, you know, and we have the streaming ability now with, you know, most people's internet is good enough to be able to experience this. Um, and best of all is that, like what you, <laughs> like what you were saying before, when after you've watched it, you can then load the, that same game up and then drive it yourself. Um, you can do it with a mouse and keyboard, game control, or even a steering wheel, um, depending on you know your budget levels. But you can still you know somewhat experience that compared to you know the cost of an, an open wheel sports car. Um, or race car, you know that, and and the physical requirements for that as well. So it's um we're pretty lucky in that regard that at the moment motorsport is being able to live on in this different take um, compared to a lot of other sports where they're really you know um, I follow a little bit of the US TV and um, ESPN. All they're showing is either they're showing some of the virtual stuff, um, the motorsport and everything like that. But when they're not showing any of that. They're showing old replays, which, you know, sometimes good games and, and good matches are, are worth watching, but it's nothing like watching a, a, a current event um, where you don't know the uh, the end results. So, yeah, we've been pretty lucky with that. And, um, and uh, it's kind of forced uh, what was a fairly niche hobby of simulation racing um, into a somewhat mainstream focus for fans and um and drivers alike because even you know people like uh sebastian vettel is is getting set up with a racing simulator 
simulator at his, his home. And so even, um, you know, people racing at the highest highest level are now getting into, you know, essentially what you could almost label like recreational sim racing, um, you know, when they can't go into the factory and, you know, use their multi-million dollar simulator. So, yeah, it's, a, it's you know, of all the um, of all the stuff that's happened, this is probably one of the best best case scenarios for all of those um the developers and uh companies that make these equipment and and the and the games itself as well as the uh the sponsors and the manufacturers they get to continue their exposure whilst um you know whilst they can't have the physical cars racing around those tracks so it's um yeah it's pretty cool yeah, it's quite interesting to see, um, particularly now that it's spurring another avenue of business. You know, there's a, there's guys out there now that are um, one of the guys racing in the FIA World Rallycross uh, series last week. He's actually a seller of these consoles. Like he builds these proper full-end, high, multi-screen, multi-setup. Um, you know, systems to be able to, to race and he actually sells them and there's actually a couple of guys in Australia that are starting to expand into that as well now. So um, it's quite interesting just to see the number of, you know, how this is growing in another business. The I know the iRacing mm. stuff has been big amongst, you know, races for a while, um, but it's growing at a, at, a, at a massive rate as more and more people um, are getting into it and trying to specialise in it. Um it's yeah it's it's really it's really quite interesting um as you know as as more and more people want to get into it but like you said being able to play the game i'm playing with just the just the controller i'm not playing with the steering wheel and stuff like that um there are some guys that believe that they can play particularly on the console stuff some think they can drive faster with a with a wheel and some think they can drive faster with a with a you know, controller so it's quite interesting to see um the difference in in how people are wanting to play and set up and stuff like that, but yeah, it's um, it can only be good business for the for the console and, and gaming manufacturers. Yeah, that's right. And um, I did just look it up because I thought it um, is included. So if uh, if any of you that are listening have. Xbox Game Pass Ultimate or Xbox Xbox Game Pass for PC, um, you can actually uh, download Dirt Rally Two um, for as it's as it's included with that subscription. So if you are paying for Xbox Game Pass Ultimate or um, uh, Xbox Game Pass PC, you can actually uh, that game is included in that subscription. So um, you don't need ex- you don't need to go out and buy that game if you're wanting to check it out. So that's uh, that's a good way to to experience it if you have one of those subscriptions um it's uh it's great and um and on the flip side i'm uh driving at the moment at kia carnival so it's the complete opposite to any sort of uh virtual racing or real racing um at the moment but uh, i was actually um quite surprised i i'm i'm nowhere near the need for um driving a or, or needing to own a a, a you know people mover van like the Kia Carnival, but oh man, it is so nice. It is so nice to drive. The um uh, the I haven't driven a diesel in a long while, and I've forgotten how much torque you do get compared to a um like a, a petrol, even a turbo petrol. There's just so much low down um torque that's available, but it's super smooth. There's so much space. Um, it's just a pity that I can't you know load everybody into the car and go for a drive somewhere. Uh, the engine that's probably in that the, the biggest is, bummer. It's really, really good. 
Yeah, so it's um yeah, it's great. It's uh I don't know, I, I'm just enjoying it a lot more than I thought. The leather is really nice. They've done the only thing that and I it seems to be a common thing that I'm I'm con- constantly mentioning at the moment, but it would be nice if they just had a slightly larger infotainment screen. It still does your Android Auto and CarPlay and everything like that, but it is just a little bit small for how big that dash area is. But um, at the end of the day, it, it does most things. It's got active cruise control. Um, it does have uh, that feature where if you walk up to the back of the car whilst the car is locked and you've got the key on you, if you wait a few seconds, it will beep three times and open the boot automatically, um, which is pretty great given, you know, uh, with, the, with the pandemic, you don't actually need to touch your car until, you know, you're ready to put stuff in it. So, um, and... You know, thinking about back to normality, if you've got kids or you've got arm full of stuff, uh, it's great that you can just walk up to the back of the car and the boot will automatically open and you can load all the things into the back. And um, and the boot is huge. Even if you have... So, it's got three rows of seats and um, it's, it is a true people mover in that sense. But um, compared to some other people mover vans, the seats, the, that final row of seats fold into the floor and so you get a huge, ginormous, really tall cargo space if those seats are packed away. But if you do have those seats folded out, even if you're not using them, you do get an extremely deep boot. So basically all the way down to the floor just above the road, all the way up to the roof is your, you know, the space that you can play with in terms of um, storage. So it's it's not like you're really giving up anything um, having that third row seat. It's almost like you can play around with, well, how much depth do you need versus how much height and length and everything like that. But most people, um, even if you have a full car and you have a whole heap of gear, you'll be able to stack it up really, really well and um, not really have to worry about your cargo space um, in a car like that, which is great. Um, and I and I haven't seen it yet, but it, it is the one thing which I, I have heard the Grandview um, doesn't do so well, even though it is so big. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I've, I've had it. I, I want to drive it more. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those cars which you, know, you don't expect to enjoy driving that much. Um, but yeah, it does a good job. Yeah, the boot spacing that thing's really really good. That deep boot design. Um where the seats are up is quite good. It'll fit. I know that I've I've had one and put my camera bag in the back, and, and it's not it's not a small. It's a it's a roller bag, and it actually sits in there quite well. And actually sit quite solidly low into that into that hole, and and yeah. still have room for other stuff. So it's very well designed that. Um, and then obviously when you've got the seats up. Uh, sorry, when the seat's down, you've got even more space again. So, yeah, it's um, if you've got any kind of size and taking any kind of number of people, it's uh, mm. it's a pretty impressive thing to be able to yeah. carry so much. Yeah. So it's um, yeah, it's uh, I've got to drive it a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, overall, the general impressions are, are pretty good, and um, definitely uh, is a big step up over. You know what people the probably um, the previous generation carnival that I think probably where it got quite popular um, the slightly more rounded version um, and there's still a lot of them kicking around as well um, of that previous generation which probably shows a testament to um, how far Kia have come with their um, with their reliability 
that there's you know older models are still getting around and i think this current generation carnival has been around since probably 2012 or 13 i think if i remember correctly so um yeah it's the good cars and um yeah some some good improvements um over that but uh, what do you think, Joel? It's uh, we've got a ton of yeah. It's of been news a big week. news week this week. Basically, this week, everyone, uh, every manufacturer said, "Ah, oh, you know what? Now's a really good time to release some news." Um, so we've got plenty of uh, plenty of things to talk about. First one is uh, the FCAI. So that's um, if in case you don't know, Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. So that's kind of like our um, the industry body for car dealers and manufacturers and everything like that. Um, and uh, Basically, they're the ones who also released the the VFAC sales figures, those ones you're probably more familiar with. But essentially, this week, they've, they've been really proactive in uh, in the sense of wanting to advocate that, um, you know, that things are, are still moving forward for the car industry and um, that even though... Um, uh, buying a car isn't as seamless as it could possibly be at the moment with uh, with social dis- distancing and everything like that. But they are still reiterating um, this week that the dealers are open for business and um, that test drives are absolutely fine. Um, Joel, what do you think? Do you think this is probably a little bit of a um, uh, in anticipating? Um, a big drop in sales figures for for this month. You know, they're, they're trying to get you know people to come back out and um you know letting them know that they're okay to buy a car they don't have to to be afraid or what do you think yeah look i think it's 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 definitely a great idea for them to come out and and speak on behalf of the dealers to to say to people you know don't be afraid that if you're in that if you have been and they really say that buying a car process is not necessarily something that's done on a, it's it, it's over a, a longer period, so it can be a three or a six month buying period where you're test driving cars and you're looking at cars and stuff like that, and you've you've made that decision that you're going to buy. You know, this could be in the per, the area where someone had made the decision at the start of the year they're going to replace their car. They've been going through the process of test drives and stuff like that. And, you know, this is to say that they're that, that you still can get out, you still can go and test drive cars, you can. You know, go into the dealerships and talk to them. I mean, I spoke to a dealer during the week, and they're doing a lot with, um, you know, personalised um, video calls with people now, where you can actually, you know, they'll do a walkthrough of the car and show it to you. So you can literally do so much with it um, before you even walk in a dealership, and then you know, book in a test drive and and, and go and drive it. Um, so yeah, I think it's great that they've come out and said that that that. The dealerships are still open, that you can still go and test drive, um, that there's no problems with that. I mean, dealerships are uh, and have been since this sort of started happening, working as much as they can to work within the, the rules and, and be able to sanitize vehicles and stuff like that. We've seen manufacturers come out and talk about the key touch points and where you need to sort of clean the areas the most in terms of that respect. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's interesting to see that they're pushing this way but yeah i think we i mean it's almost the end of the month we'll see in the next week or so we'll see the figures for april i'm intrigued to see where the changes from march i think there'll definitely be a drop um but it'll be interesting to see where the you know where the sales are going i think it'll be people that had Mm. already made a decision Mm. to buy something at the start of the year um and, and have gone down that route 
you know, if you're working for a business and you were about to change over, um, your lease has changed and something like that, I, I think mm. that that would still continue. So, yeah, it'll be interesting yeah. to see the, the, the figures as of next month. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's worth remembering we spoke about it um, in a previous episode, but now is uh, if you are in the market for buying a car, now is probably one of the best times you could possibly be doing it. Um, a, because uh, because sales figures are down and we do expect them to be down again for this month, um, I'd, I'd be quite surprised if, they are, if they're positive um, in growth this month. But essentially, dealers are hungry to get a sale. Um, a lot of dealers, even at the lower end of the market, are doing essentially giving an experience that you would only find at a premium brand or a luxury brand. So you are getting arguably better levels of service. Financing um, should be fairly good. I haven't looked at that um, this week, but I do expect that, you know, those options to be quite healthy um, in terms of interest rates and things like that. Um, so, yeah, now is if you are in the market and you are wanting to buy a car, now is a good time. They have reiterated that you are able to travel to a dealership. So, obviously, most dealers are willing to travel to you and bring a car out to you. But under the current travel um, restrictions and advisories, if you are traveling to a business that is open to do business with them, obviously, that is acceptable um, levels of travel. Obviously, um just make sure that you are meeting your local rules and everything like that. But in most cases, you will have no problem traveling to a dealer to to walk through the lot, have a look at all the different models, um, you know, see what uh, one one trim versus another, you know, what they are like. Most dealers tend to have a lot of those options. So you can travel to those. It is a really good time to be buying a car. Um, so, yeah, it, it it's... um. Yeah, and and they're just uh, they've, and they've done a fairly good job recently of reiterating you know the things of yes you can go buy a car and in and, and giving their levels of advice obviously they advocate for um, for the dealers and the manufacturers but in general um, yeah the information they've been putting out is is been quite good and and quite informative for potential buyers so yeah it's a, it's just one of those reminders that yeah if you're in the market um, business is still open and uh, willing in particular I reckon to say that. Uh, Business are willing to do deals um, and keen. But one deal you won't be able to do will be a next generation Focus RS. Um, seems like it's uh, with Europe's increasingly stringent emissions regulations, um, it's forced Ford to kill off the next generation Focus RS, um, which is pretty sad. It's really sad. There was talk that they were going to go and do a sort of hybrid version to work in with the um, EU emission standards, and that's where a lot of brands are now talking about trying to keep their their you know their average below a certain amount by bringing in some form of electric. Um, powertrain. I think that's why we're seeing so many cars now talk about that, particularly some of the higher-end performance cars are starting to look at that option. But, yeah, it's sad that, um, that there won't be a fourth generation as a result. I mean, it's a great car for me. Uh, I think it's probably one of the best cars I've ever driven. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, I know now that it'll probably mean that, you know, the used market will probably, for anyone that currently owns one, I think they'll probably hang on to it for, for longer and longer. But, yeah, mm, I think the absolutely. used market for these will be in quite high demand now because of um, there's only so many of them here. We were lucky we got that extra run of the special mm. editions that they did um, before the this current model uh, cycle 
died here in Oz. Um, but yeah, it's, it's look, it's sad to see, but I don't think it'll be the the first car we kind of lose due to this uh, these emissions. Um, but yeah, it's it's never nice when we lose a, a cool model like this off uh, off the sales floor. Though I don't think it would be the last Focus RS. I, I do expect that probably as electrified drivetrains do get cheaper over time, that they could possibly revisit, you know, the RS badge once, you know, a hybrid or electric drivetrain does get, you know, more um, palatable for a low-volume model like that. Um, but, yeah, obviously, at the moment, the dollars just don't add up in their ability to justify something and, and to deliver something that, A, meets the price point of which customers are willing to pay, um, and obviously the required research and development cost that goes into it. But it's, um, it, is, it is sad. It is, I'm sure manufacturers are looking at how to, you know, four ways to get around or to be clever about these these rules it's just like motorsport as soon as you implement a, a regulation everyone's working out how to get around it um find you know clever ways to to meet that without doing it we saw aston martin do that once with their little um compact car um yeah that's it the um <laughs> you know it probably wasn't the best idea but it was an idea of how to how to do that yeah, it so it's um because we're going to see a lot of brands we're going to see a lot of brands suffer from this, and if something like the Focus RS can't do it, um, I'm just wondering what other brands who who may not have the uh, the engineering press prowesses uh, for Europe, um, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see. Well, we did see what, the what other for what other things fall by the wayside. Given that the Focus RS, I would think, would be the exact car which all of these other brands are chasing. Like if we look at the i30N, uh, the Toyota GR, um, it seems to be the spot that everybody else is rapidly racing to to fill. Well, look um, at Hyundai, and you know, Ford is the, obviously the stepping away from it. The i30N's been a massive win for them. Um, and you talk about the the Yaris GR, and yeah, sure, it's. It's been it's a it's a it's a market that you know the hot hatch has always been big. You know Renault have done really well in, it in the years with the Megane and the Clio. So you know to to not to see that whole sort of not being filled in that Ford. I mean, look, we have the Fiesta ST, and that's another ripper little car. Um, yeah, I'm really keen to drive the current one. Having driven the previous gen model, I'm intrigued to see it. And it's now got an extra set of doors. Um, so yeah, look, it, it, it's it's never good to see something like this drop out. But that market segment is is really quite big. I mean, we talk about the other things that have that have fallen results of the of the the, the EU stands. A couple of years ago, we lost the RS three for a couple of for a period of time because mm. it didn't meet um, it didn't its engine didn't meet the current. Or the next stage of emissions that uh, that were being run out of Europe. So, yeah. you know, it's one of those things that we can see. And and for manufacturers, you know, f- these may not be their volume sellers. You know, particularly in a lot of these brands. Sure, it's it's important to their DNA and what they have as a as a brand, but it's not their biggest seller. So the priority to to fix this stuff is not always around that. They're better off, you know, working on their volume setup seller products um 
than they are working on these specialized ones. So I think that's why we saw a delay in the Fiesta ST coming and stuff like that for Ford because they had other models that they were working on. But but could it be said that the it's these um it's these cars that get the general public excited and when they realize that oh maybe that one isn't quite for me i'll just go for the next model down is do you think that not having a, a car like the focus rs will be one of those things that if it's not there it's not going to attract the the eyeballs to the focus in general um for the other range it's hard to say like for those that would probably be new to the ford brands look maybe it, it's they're missing out because they're not being shown what else what would that that don't get to see what else is there uh, in in the range, but for, mm. for for people that you know were looking at this, they'll go to another brand instead because they want that hot hatch. Um, I know mm. a lot of guys, a lot of my car mates uh, that I speak to, you know, they might be cross shopping one model, but they'll end up picking two or three different models, and there's three different brands, you know, so they will go where they want to buy the product. So those that are looking for a hot hatch will still go and buy a hot hatch that's not yeah. they won't be convinced to go and buy something else but in saying that though someone that's owned one of these um will still probably buy within the family if they've had good um a good service from a dealership or you know they feel that the brand has been good has, has treated them well i know people will then go and buy more within that brand because they mm-hmm. like what that brand has done to them. So it's yes and no. Like losing the focus means that people will probably that will want to buy an RS. Some may then look at an ST, um, you know, the Fiesta uh, mm-hmm. as an option. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it really depends on the person. So it, in some ways, the brand will still do well because people will want to stay in that in that in that but otherwise people will still want to buy what they want to buy in terms of a hot hatch yeah well um i guess it's uh another one that we can add to that list uh what we won't see anymore particularly here in australia is um the camaro zl1 so it seems like or zl1 depending on uh (laughs) which which uh version of English you'd like to use but um, essentially HSV has ended the the local conversion program for the for the Camaro um, so it's uh, I guess it's another victim of the 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 pressure that you could say that uh, Holden the exit from Holden and, and the general general Motors um, exit has put on the brand and given that it's not a super high volume seller like say the Mustang has been in the past it's the, um, there's been a bit of pressure, and particularly even uh, the General Motors special vehicles. <coughs> we're still yet to know what that is going to mean in the future. So I guess it's one of those things. Until that gets worked out, um, we won't be seeing any more of the Camaro here in Australia. We liked it. It didn't really stay that long here, but um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully we'll see it back again soon. Maybe even at a you know more palatable price as well. Well, there's questions about the Camaro's, you know, life lifespan in the US. You know, there's yeah. been talk that <clears throat> once this current generation finishes, that it won't be replaced. Um, mm. There's been talk at Mago. You know, there was even talk at Mago Electric. Um, it, it's it's sad to see the Camaro, you know, dying, and we're not going to have it. We're not going to have a V8 powered. Holden in Australia anymore, um, with the you know with the dropping of first it was the two SS and then now the ZL one. Um, look, there, I think the biggest 
the biggest issue Camaro did was changing the design of the front end. I think that yeah. did kind of kill the, the, the demand for it and people didn't like that look of it. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's sad to see that um, HSV have stopped bringing it in. I mean, <laughs> everyone was hoping that it would be around and that it would then become the next supercar because, you know, Holden won't have the Commodore anymore yeah. and Holden won't really exist. It was on HSV. So, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting, an interesting move um, in terms of what will happen and what we'll see happen for supercars um, as well mm-hmm. because obviously, you know, for HSV and, and Walkinshaw, they would love to be racing a car that they were selling. Um, but, you know, look, who knows? I mean, the it's, guys have been busy. And it's, it's one of those things where it's, you know, the, the Camaro hasn't really had the ideal history, whether it's even in the States and here recently, because like you said, with the design changes they made that put a lot of that upset a lot of people. Also, it's... I think there were opportunities missed here in Australia to have a factory-built right-hand drive car whilst we were still making the the Commodore here. Given that the platform, the the drivetrain and everything that underpins the Camaro is the same one that the V and the VF Commodores were built on. So you could say that, well, that was engineered to be right-hand drive and then hold and engineer that to be left-hand drive. And then, you know, General Motors took that and um, put the Camaro on top of that. So... There's, there's been, I guess you could say, a few missed opportunities to help find um, a home for the Camaro here locally from a factory point of view. But also, I guess, even though General Motors isn't really... Um, and, it's not like it's a new thing for them to have aging platforms and drive chains and engines because, you know, what works well, why change it? But um, but that platform is still, you know, it's using that VEVF um, platform still for the Camaro at the moment. And I guess at one point, um, not only does as sales slow down, they're questioning whether it doesn't need to stick around, but also they're going, well, if we need to keep this platform updated, well, what are we going to you know, what are we going to replace it with? And, you know, I guess at some point they don't really want to engineer a new platform for just the just the Camaro. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the thing is, well, the, the one good thing out of all this is that HSV is saying that they've got stock for the next couple of months. So mm-hmm. <laughs> there's two to three months worth of stock still available. So if you are interested in buying one, now is the time to, to jump in and, and, and grab hold of one because, you know, there will be a little bit of stock around. And, I mean, yeah, it's the whole process. I mean, the Camaro was partly developed here uh, originally, like you were saying. So it'll be interesting to see. It was good to see that, you know, it did get some life in Australia, but the fact that it it just didn't succeed is a is a bit of a is a bit of a shame. Mm. And I just and I just wonder is it do General Motors need to have a bit of a like they are going through a big um, strategic change at the moment, obviously with leaving right hand drive markets, and they're also pulling out of some other left hand drive markets as well. The, Maybe they're doing a little bit of, you know, they're consolidating a little bit and then deciding, well, what are we going to build moving forwards? Um, because other brands, like we've got Dodge with their Challenger and um, and Charger, like there's other, and the, and the Mustang, of course, you've got other 
V8 muscle cars in those segments that are, are selling well and they're also, you know, Dodge with their Hellcat versions and everything like that, they're still going to the nth degree in terms of what we would all define as absolutely bonkers in terms of cars. Um, and it's just funny that GM still hasn't really made it work with with the Camaro when particularly in the States there seems to be somewhat still maybe it's not as big as it used to be before but there's still somewhat uh, a healthy market for these cars and even even if you jump on sites like Reddit the 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 communities around these cars are also huge and very healthy um so yeah it's just one of those things in the back of my mind I'm going oh what what haven't they just done right like here I think price was a big thing over in the states I, I don't know is it just the product line you know that they is it the design that put people off a little bit too much and has sort of s- softened it or what like what else is there that um you know is making this car really you know it's fu- putting its future in doubt and what could ge- you know General Motors and Chevy change uh, to to reinvigorate that and to make it more exciting because, yeah, it's, it, it'd be a shame to, to see it go altogether given that, you know, it is one of those iconic American muscle cars. Yeah, exactly. And and the, there is demand here because obviously they have been selling. You know, the guys at Crossover Car Conversions here in Melbourne have done well with, yeah. you know, um, they've been converting Vipers, um, the Chargers, uh, the Hellcats, um, obviously, they've brought in uh, a GT350 for a customer, the Mustang, and converted that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they the rules changing, they were certainly taking expressions of interest for GT500 Mustang. Um, so there is a market for those um, those muscle cars. So you know, I think on a on a smaller scale businesses. Um, like uh, the guys from Crossover and Performax and and a few others, they they take longer. They do the car by hand. It's a slower process. Probably cost you more. But the but the thing is, is that it's quite unique at the end of the day because there's nowhere near as many of them coming through and mm. coming out. They're not being sold in dealerships like the the Camaro was. Um, but yeah, there's definitely an issue. I think the the dollar is not helping at the moment. I think with the dollar being so low against the US dollar, it's really really hard to um, to really sort of make the the, the price point uh, yeah. appealing. Um, but yeah, I, I hope that you know. But yeah, the hardest thing is obviously with GM sort of sort of killing the Camaro off, and that it probably won't continue. I think that's the saddest thing to see. But yeah, you're right. Uh, there was talk a while ago. I mean, the the COVID situation probably isn't going to help that. But there was no. talk that Dodge was keen to look at bringing in. Um, you know, to look at discussing it as bringing in either the 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 Charger or the Challenger here to Australia. There, there, there may be a market option for it. Um, but yeah, we you know we'd like we'd love to see it. Um, who knows where we will? Um, but you know, it, it, there is potential. I think there is a there is a market for them. Mm-hmm. Um, there are fans of people are the fans of this product, um, and it'd be great to see you know sort of more of them mm-hmm. here on the roads. Well, I think uh, Dodge themselves have done a good job in slowly um, making themselves known here in the Australian market. Dodge Ram, their Ram trucks have they've been available for a little while now, but it's only until now where they've you know they've put more money into the marketing and we're seeing more and more TV ads. They're, they've now outsold Jeep um, as of last month. 
So, they could be on a really good path of where before they had a couple of mediocre SUV products and everything like that and under the Dodge badge. Now, I think they're coming out, A, they've got product that people want and as that popularity picks up, it'd be great to see them use that momentum to introduce a Charger or a Challenger here, um, particularly, you know, as people become familiar again with that brand and as they you know they do have solid products so yeah i'll be really really excited to see um how that goes and um yeah we just have to sit tight and um yeah say goodbye to these few cars the rs and the camaro for now um but i'm sure at some point we'll um we'll get something pretty good to to fill those gaps soon sooner or later i'd like to think so yeah in terms of uh, another car that is making a, not a comeback, but just uh, getting an update, is the Audi A3 sedan. And um, shaping up to, to to fight once again against the Mercedes CLA and even now the BMW 2 Series Grand Coupe, I guess you could probably say is BMW's best competitor. But the A3 sedan is, um, is looking like a quite tidy little package and um, with... With a TDI, so their diesel and their turbocharged petrol engines coming through with better efficiency and performance than before, um, I think we'll, we'll see quite a few of these uh, on the roads again in this uh, new model. How good does this thing look? Like I, I've yeah. been, I'm a massive Audi fan. I have been for many years since I did a a, a, a motor drive event at uh, Calder Park years and years ago, which I actually found some photos of today. I must drag them out and put them online. Um, but this new version, my God, the A3, just the standard sedan, it looks so good. Um, mm-hmm. These pictures, the press pictures that have come out, it's just so. It's so, uh, I don't know, like the, the angles and everything, the front, it looks so aggressive. It looks like an S3 almost, Yeah. but it's yeah. a standard A3. So if this is what the, the A3 is going to look like, I can only imagine what the S and RS models are going to look like. It just... Brilliant. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, Audi in their design language in the last couple of years, this new this new design or this new revolution that they're doing is mm. probably some of the best looking cars they've ever created. I mean, obviously you see that with models changing and every year there's a bit of a change, but this new design, I love it. The, the mm. front end of the A3 has the... Um, the same angles and designs as the new A1, um, mm-hmm. and that that's a stunning-looking little car. Um, and I think the bonnet line, so they've got some some aggressive and prominent um, lines on, on the bonnet, and I think they work a lot better than they do on the A5 Coupe, um, yes. which I think was, was yep. the first one to really introduce that styling point. Um, but it just seems to work. The proportions, you know, it just is well done i think the in terms of uh now it is a a traditional sedan so probably not the most fair comparison but compared to the rear end of the the two series grand coupe i think the audi seems to do a much better job i'm also not really a huge fan of the cla styling but um i think they've got everything just just right on this one from what i can see in the photos obviously it's gonna look yeah, it'll take one. It's another thing to see it in person, but just it it looks well proportioned. Just 
Yeah. Um, it's going to be good no matter what wheels you put on it. Like these these yeah. wheels that are in this photo are obviously a larger, a larger size. They're very much a sportier design wheel. But if you put even even a standard wheel on the, a standard, you know, rim on this thing will look brilliant. The lines across the front end, um, big grill on the front. Like everyone's been talking mm-hmm. about big grills these days, but this actually really suits it. Like it looks really, really good. Um, it run the grill runs almost all the way from the the, the the top of the bonnet to the top of the um, the bottom splitter on the car, but it actually suits it. Um, mm. You know, the lines in the in the the LED lights and stuff like this uh, are really good. Even down the side, there's some really sharp lines, and uh, you know, the, just the aggression from the the whole mm. thing. It, there's a little bit of similarity in the in the rear end. Uh, it's a little bit A4ish. Uh, I was about to in- say that if you took the badging off, I think uh, most people have a very hard time telling the A3 mm. and the A4 apart. Yeah, they're they're very they're very similar in size. Mm. I, I haven't actually checked to look closely to see the difference um, in terms of size. Whether it is it's physically yeah. bigger than the old one, it does. From the photos, it does look a little bit bigger. Uh, I'm intrigued to see, yeah. you know, the, the the actual specs wise where it compares to the previous model. But wow, I can't wait to see these on the road. Mm. I mean, and the you know the A3 has been a big seller for Audi in terms of their market um a3 and i think q3 are quite big sales so this will be great for the brand in australia um mm. this specs that well this come feel, this this fills the price point which the a4 used to fill probably uh you could probably say about 20 years ago now and it seems like a long time but really for that $50,000 mark that's what you'd be getting to and i'd probably say that the a3 the 2020 A3 is a similar size to an older A4. Um, if anything of my experience in the 2 Series Grand Coupe would say anything, where it, I think it's, they've, as cars have expanded and gotten slightly bigger, um, the they're kind of really feeling what their next step up of cars used to fill um, in that space. The only thing that I would probably change, and I, I really like the interior, but I would really would want to see, and, and it will probably come in the in the S3 and the RS3, but is a flat bottom um, steering wheel. Steering wheel. Yeah. Really round. Like it, it seems like a really circular, I don't know, it sounds funny, mm. but like a really round steering wheel, kind of like what the older... Audi steering wheels used to be. Well, the interior um, photos are actually S spec, so they're an S. They're an S line. Yeah. So, I think yeah, generally I just the, would love the flat- to see a squared off steering yeah. wheel. I think would match because everything else has got really straight lines. It, it is very square. The rest of the cabin, um, when you look at the photos, like even down in the gear selector and that that little console area, everything is very straight, very squared off. And and then you've got this really big and round and rounded elements as well on the steering wheel. So it's not just the wheel. Obviously, the wheel has to be round to a certain point, but the center elements also are very feel very rounded. And it's just probably the one thing at the moment just doesn't seem like it quite belongs with the rest of the design language for the car. That center console is quite interesting as well. New gear selector design and stuff like that. That's yeah. quite interesting. Um, it, it looks like it's been borrowed out of the um, Porsche parts bin. <laughs> That little uh, gear selector that looks like it's straight out of the uh, 911. It looks like the, uh, I 
think that infotainment system looks like it's had a slight update, but also that design to the left of the steering wheel, um, that console area, which was normally like the air vents look like they've been moved up higher and there's an extra console area there that has some extra buttons and stuff put into it. So mm. it looks like it's an interesting, interesting layout and design in terms of it as yeah, well. And it right. looks like it's running USB-C mm. uh, connectivity in the uh, center yeah. console as well. Yeah. No, yeah, it does look. I'm just looking now at it. I'm actually now looking at it a bit closer. If you were to take out the digital displays and put in um, like a monochrome display, it'd almost look like a, an 80s concept car, wouldn't it? With those vents and that console area around the, this, the dash for the steering wheel. Um, I'll have to find, I've got a car in my mind, which I'm thinking of. I'll have to find up some photos and throw up a comparison. But it, it almost feels like we're at that retro future kind of, um, and we'll touch on that particular point later on as well, because there is a brand from the Volkswagen group that will come out with a truly retro fit um, feature. But yeah, I, I, overall, I like the design. Um, but yeah, yeah the, uh, the it's you look at one of the interior photos is that lovely red line all the way across the dash. Yeah. So they put the yeah. LED into the dash. So mm. that's quite interesting as well. But it's interesting talking about that that whole you know progression of models and stuff like that. I was watching you know during this uh, lockdown period uh, a lot of the streamers have been running different, um, particularly around Easter and stuff. Some places ran. You know your your full streaming weekend of series and stuff like that, and there was a Bond marathon on Foxtel, and so I was watching a couple of the older ones there. And um, the Living Daylights uh, is interesting to watch because they're from the Audi brand side. There's a beautiful Audi uh, Audi Hundred model uh, in in that, um, mm. and then also the older or the first gen Avance, which were kind of like a long hatchback um, before they kind of became wagons and stuff like. That so it's yeah. interesting looking at some of those classic, um, you know, Audi mods that before they moved into you know the the the, the A series and stuff like that, they ran the 100, 200, and sort of 300 series models. Um, it's just interesting to see what the brand even back then they were still a great looking car. Those early advance that Audi used to make were just you know so good looking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But th- yeah, these segues are great. But speaking of good looking, um, some renders and some spy shots from the perf- oh, Hyundai's first performance SUV, the Kona N, um, have surfaced. And it seems like we might be uh, seeing them a little bit earlier than we uh, thought with um some of these articles, a car advice article we've got in front, is saying that we could see it as early as July um, for its debut. Uh, and based on these images and, and what I'm seeing, I'm very excited. Yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm a big fan of performance SUVs, uh, as I've talked mm. about pre- previously on the show. But, yeah, when I first heard that uh, Hyundai were talking about doing a Kona in, I thought that really pricked my ears up because I think the Kona... Um, has really good potential in terms of just how good the thing looks uh, on the road as standard. You know, a few car mates of mine were talking about, you know, the the whole performance craze of taking cars and modifying them. Everyone does it to sedans and stuff like that. Not many people are doing it to SUVs. So we were saying, you know, what what SUV would you take and actually go and modify it and, and to make it look cool? I, I picked a, a Kona in. I just love the... the um, the arch 
arches over the wheels, that, that body work around mm. that. It, I reckon one of those lowered and whatever else, you know, I think were really cool. A mate of mine was saying, you know, he'd love to do it to a CX3 Mazda. Um, so, yeah, when Hyundai said that they were going to do a Kona in, I thought, wow, that's that's really cool. And to see, yeah. you know, to sort of seen spy photos of it testing on the ring and things like that. Um, yeah, it, it's it's great to see. And, and I'm really intrigued. I mean, I hope it comes here. Mm-hmm. Um Given how popular the Kona has been here, I, I wouldn't be surprised to yeah. see it arrive. Um, Not they just are that, saying the whole N series performance mm. that they've been doing, you know, there's a big market for that, you know. Yeah. And, and it's been a hit here. Yeah. Hyundai have their own um, their own sort of development team here as well, mm-hmm. um, and they've been big in supporting that N. I think we were one of the first places to, to see the... Um, the end fastback, um, what was shown at World Time Tech a couple of years ago. Uh, I think that's great, and I, I, I'd love to mm. see it down under. <laughs> I'd love to drive one. I reckon it'd yeah. be so much fun. Um, yeah, they're talking. Well, I, when I was in Sydney last year, I was um, at the last minute was thrown a, an invite to to come and check out uh, the. The, the Hyundai set up there and all of their vehicles, and I got to have a look close up at the um, at the i30N fastback that they had built and, and their drift bus. The um, oh yep, and uh, yeah, wow. That in that those those cars were all built locally. Um, those ones, so that, those ones that are getting rounds um, that were built for World Time Attack and competed in World Time Attack were actually built here. And um, I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but it was actually primarily built by one one member of their team here um, in a couple of weeks as well. And um, and I think it kind of just shows that here, at least in Australia, that Hyundai is fairly serious about the N product line. Um, except for, I guess, the one thing which a few people I, I've, I've spoken to have said they'd be, they'd love to see a Veloster end, but that seems to still be uh, um, one of those ones that we won't see at all. Um, but in terms of uh, the Kona N, they are saying that it would probably be the same engine that is in the i30 N hatch. Um, so 202 kilowatts of power, 353 newton-meters of, um, of torques, um, all mated to that eight-speed dual-clutch transmission. So... Um, it, it will be just a little bit less power and torque than like the Volkswagen T-Roc R and the Countryman JCW, which are kind of like similar small SUV performance models. Um, but given the amount of effort Hyundai put into tuning the cars for Australia before they launch, I think um, if, the, if anything of the previous examples go by, even though it's down on power, I, I, I'd believe that this model would probably outperform um, those here on Australian roads. Yeah, it's so. uh, it's it's good to see, you know, Hyundai supporting so much of this and the development they've been doing, particularly <laughs> you know, creating that drift bus. Um, mm. I love when brands go, well, not really rogue, but go and do something different like that. It, it's great to see people... <sighs> You know, going out and creating these different kinds of models and thinking outside the box. You know, we talked about previously that that wasn't April Fool's joke, but the the Palisade and, and yeah. you know, in concept that they made and things mm. like that. Um, 
but yeah, the fact that the Kona in is going, he's coming, uh, he's great. Um, and you know, it, it, it's it's cool that there's been other talk of other stuff, so um, yeah, I love the idea, and um, it's exciting to see, obviously, the um. The, the brand is is keen to, to build on its end performance. Um, you know, I think that, it, that they do a fair bit of stuff overseas. They actually created a race car version of the Velosta uh, over mm. in the US that a journey friend of mine has driven. Um, and that was a pretty cool concept to see. You know, they're racing in um, TCR and stuff like that. So, you know, there's motorsport yeah. hidden or not hidden, but mm. as part of this N brand. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's interesting to see what's happening with them. They are growing. I mean, obviously moving into sort of our, our next story, the Veloster N uh, is now yeah. going to come with a, a, an 8-speed eight eight speed. Uh, DCT. Um, unfortunately, it's not going to be coming to us. But we will get the DCT in the i30 N mm-hmm. um, and the Fastback in i30 um which is pretty cool to see and, and you and i were talking offline before we started in saying that i think that will really open up that um that market for the i30 i think that'll probably open it up to a whole lot of new people um particularly like you were saying ash people that <laughs> don't have a manual license yeah and surprisingly it's uh, i've got a few friends who are car people but they don't have a a manual license which you know might perplex some but you know when when getting your license not everybody has a has a manual car at home and um it's just one of those things of well you don't really have the time once you know once life gets involved that you know to go and sit another test and and to do it so in that res- and and given that most cars are available in some sort of dual clutch or you know even eight speed automatic from um from certain brands, the 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 requirement to have a manual license is is obviously um, even for to get a performance car. The requ- that requirement is kind of it, it's not really a thing anymore, except for a handful of models like the i30. And but the it would be nice to have this dual clutch come finally. Given that when the i30N and the i30N Fastback first launched, they were saying like the end of last year, end of 2019, when they were expecting the dual clutch. And I guess they've had some development issues that have delayed the dual clutch um, until until early 2021, which they're kind of rumoring. The Kona N is expected to have that, that dual clutch because obviously it wouldn't really make sense to launch a, a Kona in a manual for performance version. So I guess it's probably a... Um, those development issues which they possibly could have had also just the aligning of different products I've got in the in the in the pipeline um, that it's made sense just to wait a little bit longer and maybe iron out a few things in terms of reliability for that but um, yeah it is one of those things that it's great to see that it's finally coming we'll obviously we won't hold our breath just in case it is delayed a little bit longer um, given it has been delayed a little bit already um but yeah i think this is going to be that next step which hyundai has been wanting um to take for a little while now to really open up wide um their you know their market really given that we know that even amongst porsche the number of people buying manuals versus their um their automatics um that you know the PDK transmissions, it is only talking. I think it's still 
less, you know, it's still in single digits or something now. Um, so, yeah, imagine if you take that kind of same logic with the i30 models and you apply that with, you know, what proportion by manual and what others by DCT, I reckon, you know, we could see a lot more on the road um, once that finally arrives. Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're, they're expecting that as well. Yeah, it, it's it's certainly interesting. I mean, I think that it must be hard for a driving instructor to buy a car these days that's 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 still manual. Uh, I think there's some some of the lower end specs generally still have manual. I'm pretty sure Cer- Kia Cerato, I think, does a manual with its entry point. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, more and more people are going away. I, I know, getting a little bit older now in life, I've had manuals. Pretty much every every car I've ever owned, I've never owned an automatic, but my next car will definitely be an auto. You know, just spending time in traffic and stuff like that. Yeah. But looking further into that um, that story, there's a couple of interesting things. Did you see that there's going to be an N uh, N power shift mode, an N track sh- uh, sense shift mode, but there's also called the N grin shift, increasing torque seven percent uh, by allowing turbocharger overboost and maximising transmission response for 20 second hmm. performance that is certain to induce driver grin <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i and the thing that, that they've done so well with these cars is making them sound unreal oh, so yeah. um, i'm, I'm kind of wondering in the back of my mind of how they're going to what that grin inducing ingredient is whether it's just outright performance or if there's something a little bit you know if if they're increasing torque and playing around with the transmission given that we know that dual clutches love to you know make all sorts of noises during um during shifts uh yeah i can't wait to see what that what that actually means um in the real world because yeah that's um the Given that the i30 in manual form when even downshifting and all that kind of stuff brings a grin to me, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That's all I can say. And the rev matching as well is also very, very clever and well done as well. So, yeah. Uh, I hope it doesn't get too too delayed, and we see uh, the you know the NDCT hit the market Mm -hmm. in you know early 2021 as it it says that it's planned to. Now, next up, uh, Mercedes AMG GLE 53-formatic plus, yes, that is the full name, um, has arrived in Australia and um, local prices and... um and specs are now available. Now, look, it's not cheap. It is, you know, the the recommended list price is one hundred sixty six thousand seven hundred, and um, a lot of purists would say that it's another model to yet dilute the AMG sort of, you know, further confuse people of which AMG model they should be buying. But um, but based on photos and performance, it should be a bit of a ripper, um, and no doubt it will probably sell pretty well as well given that the amount of amg products i'm seeing on the road is is quite um it's quite a lot actually yeah um, that g series really popular um yeah they're you know they're a good they're a good looking model <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of money for for that sort of it is that car but you know someone that's that wants the mercedes brand that is looking in that kind of area um you know, it's probably it's well it's well priced. There's a lot of other stuff in that same market. BMW and Audi yeah. are also doing many in that in that same 
range yeah or same price point and 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 stuff but yeah it's um and then you've got the probably the what i would still say is somewhat been the standard for that would be the porsche macan and 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 the the 53 is probably from a pricing level i wouldn't necessarily say the performance level um would probably be be targeting that gts level even though porsche's approach to the different levels is is a bit different but i think probably in a pricing level that's where they're aiming for um you know because you're talking about like this has got 320 kilowatts of power 520 newton meters of torque um and then they've got like an eq boost system which adds another 16 kilowatts and 250 newton meters um i've talked to that so yeah it's um it's gonna be a good performing vehicle i i i still have to want to experience it out on the road um given that for me that standard personally is is the the macan everybody else gets really close but in terms of just outright repeatable performance the porsche just um still seems to to get it all right and um if you are a true enthusiast that needs an suv the gts and turbo levels give you that option if you want something that's slightly more um probably upset a few people at track focused suv the gts is where it's at it's got um it still has a sprung suspension where the turbo has it's more of a, a road warrior friendly performance version where it sits above because you get more features but it has the airbag um suspension so you can raise and lower and everything like that um depending on what you're using it for um in that space but yeah, it's a, it's particularly with the naming conventions that Mercedes go with, um, it, it probably could confuse a few more people. Um, having this extra model come in and upset some AMG purists, but you know what? What manufacturer hasn't upset purists lately <laughs> um, with the addition of another model? Given, even though this will probably bolster their um, their sales numbers and mean that they can do other special vehicles at the same time. Yeah, and it's and like you know, you talk about the naming system within um, Mercedes. You know, the, they all have their own thing. I mean, I think obviously with ABC sort of class and stuff like that. You know, it, it does make it a little bit easy to follow. Um, but yeah. there just always seems to be something different appearing in each of those classes. But, um, yeah, I think the, most of these brands now have um, created something for every segment of the market that, that, yeah. that needs to needs a spot. You know, Audi do it, BM do it. And, and that's the thing. If you're a fan of the brand, there's something that suits everyone uh, pretty much. You know, we, my mother-in-law, uh, she bought a B-class a while back, and we, mm-hmm. we it was interesting doing the whole cross-shopping between A, B, and sort of C classes <laughs> yeah. to see what was around and then even moving into some of the Gs. Um, mm. And, yeah, we looked at what she did do and whatever else, and the B was the perfect fit for it at the end of the day because it mm. was it was the perfect you know the the loading area was good the door access was great um uh, and stuff like that so yeah it's it's interesting to see when you look at the different brands and what they offer and what they do um mm. you know it's kind of like uh you know having an option for anyone depending on what what you want to do so yeah i think um another g series uh is not it's not a bad thing because it'll be another market area that obviously mm. they need to uh they need to help fill 
That's right. Well, looking at another space to, to fill, um, the new Mustang looks like it's going four-wheel drive with a hybrid V8. Um, and the current render that UK has put up, um, I think some would think that actually looks a little bit like an Audi RS5. Um, it also has a bit of um, F-Type in it as well. Yeah. Those rear so watches think, uh, and stuff. Yeah, but... I think overall, it, it, it probably makes sense that this is exactly the direction in which they're going. And this is kind of what we spoke about when talking about the, uh, you know, the RS5 of going with a, a form of hybrid version. Um, but obviously, with the Mustang, there's a different um, value argument built in. They've got a similar, probably similar technologies going to the Mach-E, which they can borrow into a hybridized version of the Mustang um, coupe itself um, so and it probably should mean that um, given that we are confirmed to get the next generation here in Australia that we'll probably see this um, down under as well and um, you get all the performance benefits from it as well at the same time which a, which a hybrid you know, which a hybrid gets from those motors. Yeah, well, we were talking about earlier in, in terms of being the cars like the, the death of the, the 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 Focus RS is because we're talking about emissions. Well, Ford, on the yeah. other hand, are trying to s- still keep the Mustang and still keep some of these models by going into a partly electrified version because it helps with their mm. um, performance, their um, economy figures, which helps bring down those numbers by making something that is partly hybrid so i think this is an interesting model i mean there has been talk of a full still a full electric mustang uh, obviously the marquee is coming and interesting as a side note we've seen um the guys that have been developing it in the states are now taking them home and working in, in them at home in their own yeah. garage which mm. is cool to see but yeah the fact that we're going to see probably a hybrid version of the Mustang is not a bad thing. Um, I think performance enthusiasts shouldn't be worried about their Mustang, you know, their, that full V8 disappearing. I think if anything, it's going to be a benefit. Um, it's going to give you slightly better economy because obviously you're going to have that electric form to it. Um, Look at every hypercar that's been released yeah. recently. They've got some form of electrification. A, yeah, it helps emissions and all that kind of thing. But from a pure performance point of view we know that electric motors add a whole heap of down low torque and just straight performance that um i think it'd be silly if anybody gets it you know gets upset because i've got a hybrid coming because all it means is going to be extra performance is i can't really think of a downside apart from you know maybe a little bit of extra weight um that comes with having a hybrid uh sports car yeah, exactly. It's only going to be a benefit. It's going to give you particularly that sort of, depending on how the platform works, but the other mention as part of this story is, an, is four-wheel drive. Like an, an all-wheel drive system is, is again, quite interesting. I mean, performance enthusiasts, again, you know, want it to be rear-wheel drive. But having owned two all-wheel drive performance cars... There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a great thing. Um, yeah. the, the the car themselves handles better, particularly in the wet. And I know a lot of guys complain mm-hmm. about Mustang handling in the wet. Um, 
or even just exiting um, cars and coffee with a crowd. We all know <laughs> the, the reputation Mustangs have. Exactly. Um, but also, I think people don't give car companies enough credit in when they're building a performance-orientated all-wheel drive system. Normally, it is very heavily rear-wheel biased mm. um, across all brands, whether it's BMW, Porsche, Mercedes. Um, when they want to go all-out performance, like. When you pull up the little graph on the info on the info screen, you'll see that like even um, the the Macan Turbo has it spends ninety percent of its life in just pure rear wheel drive mode, um, and it's only when it thinks it needs it is it going to throw power to the front wheels. And I think um, BMW, you have the um, the the rear wheel drive button um, for the all wheel drive M5. So I, I I don't think it's yeah. Uh, Modern systems, it's like when the first concerns came around the electric um, electric steering, um, first iterations weren't very good and then, you know, certain brands figured it out and, and all of a sudden the concern about electric steering is, is pretty much, a, you don't hear people talking about it because it's, it's improved that much now. Um, so... Yeah, I think it's uh, a few purist people are going to have to get get over it um, or, or hold on to their to, to their existing model because you know it's, these cars are cars that you know be able to hold on to for a long time. You don't always have to get the latest and greatest, even though I'm sure brands will you know just like Apple with upgrading your phone want you to do it every time. Um, but you know, every, every, as we get further along, um, each of these cars are going to be special for their own reason. Um, because of you know these changes that are that are happening to to meet emissions and to, of course, improve performance. But we've seen it in the states. There's there's an all drive version of the Charger, I think now, uh, or the Challenger. Um, mm. So I think it's you know you you think about it from whether it be from this is obviously a story that's come out of the UK, but you think about it from either the UK or the US when they have um, a fair percentage of the year where there's a lot of snow on the roads. An yeah. all drive makes it makes perfect sense to have particularly in the US where you know a lot of guys will probably park some of their if if it's their if the Mustang's their second car they'll park it over winter because you know they don't want to drive it in the snow well this allows you to to have it as a car that you can use all year round you only have Mm. to swap out into some winter tyres and away you go yeah yeah so but it seems like uh, obviously we'll just have to wait and see for that but we do expect that yeah it's um We'll get that sooner or later. I think they're saying 2022 um, for that. So they've still got a couple of years to, to get that information out and obviously to to, to define what their product lineup is going to be. Um, but until then, um, Ford Mustang, when a lot of the uh, local manufacturing was winding up, a lot of uh, highway patrol um, fleets across Australia were wondering, well, what are they going to go to next? And they'd spent a lot of time evaluating different different brands, different cars, different configurations, large cars, small cars, and everything in between. And and one of those cars that were configured was um, the, the newly released back then, Ford Mustang. Um, but as a number of different articles would show that the Mustang actually, you know, you could say spectacularly failed a lot of those tests, including braking and transmission, um, um, because it'd, it'd simply overheat 
from the uh, the the type of workload which those highway patrol cars do. But um, but it looks like uh, New South Wales police are working or with Har- you, you can probably explain a better job. But it seems like they're working with Harrop um, to to create basically like a, a specially equipped model. Uh, for the New South New South Wales Highway Patrol, um, that involves a, um, a standard a standard engine, but a lot of tweaks to the suspension, transmission, ride height, and all of those things um, to make it suitable. Um, yeah, this was a story that came up across during the week. It's an exclusive to the guys at Practical Motoring, so great to see the guys. You know, finding this out, and obviously in this time where you know uh, a lot of news is not happening, the, to, for the guys to go and find this story and bring it out as an exclusive. So well done to the team over there. Um, yeah, this story—it's interesting. It, it, it's actually Herod that they're working with. So Herod okay. are the guys that have been a, oh, a right, big, yep. big rod. Rod Herod, uh, Rob Herod, and his team have been big in the Ford um, family for many years. They've been behind a lot of really cool products. Um, they were the ones that brought the Mustang aspect to life, um, and have been very, very big in in working with Ford product. Uh, they have a very strong tie in with uh, Ford Performance as well. Um, they're involved, obviously, with um, uh, the DJR Penske team as well. So you know, uh, Rob and his team. Have have been very uh very strong at time with ford and and their relationships so the talk is that they're going to turn take a mustang literally turn into a a, a two-door two-seater take the, the rear seat so they can allow for more space to take all the electric stuff that police uh cars take uh in terms of you know the information and and screens and whatever else that they run but then they're going to work with um the engine's not changing um, the biggest issue, one of the biggest issues that's been, because obviously they're going to run an auto car, is the uh, the cooling system for the autos has been the biggest issue. I know a few people that have had autos that have taken to the track and they generally overheat. Um, so they're working to build a cooling system for the automatics um, to work better. Um, they're also talking about doing some suspension tweaks to give it a 25 mil lower ride height as well to improve handling. Um, and the guys at, uh, at Herald certainly know a thing or two about handling of cars. So I think uh, they will be very, uh, it'll be very interesting to see what the car comes out like. Um, currently, it's only saying that it's for New South Wales. So we may not see it here in Vic or your Queensland but that's not to say that it may not expand if you know if it goes well so um, yeah I'm intrigued to see what uh, you know it's intrigued to see these things on the road and how it goes and, and hopefully you know once this program mm-hmm. gets off that you know they might let a, a journal or two take a bit of a spin in it and hear back from um, some guys that have driven um, driven one of these and see what it's like um, so yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, there's more and more different car brands sitting out there now um, with trying to get into that market. BMW have been quite successful. Volkswagen and Hyundai are also some of the brands that we're seeing now as police cars on the roads. Um, but yeah, to, for the highway patrol cars, I mean, it, there hasn't been a lot now that obviously the uh, Fords and, and Holdens are disappearing um, and they're not available. What will they replace them with? So this is good to see. Um, but I'm know. wondering, I'm wondering what justifies, given that there are a number of um, different 
options. So we're seeing, uh, obviously, the BMWs as Highway Patrol. Kia Stingers here, even in, in Queensland, oh, yes, as correct. Highway Patrol. So there's a number of different candidates. Do you, what's the driver to get the Mustang as a Highway Patrol car versus the others, which probably you could, you could say... Um, are a little bit more practical they may not need as much modification like is it a cost thing or like why why do they want or why is the mustang being looked at even in a modified form um compared to some of these other ones which seem to be fitting the bill pretty well i think it comes down to really to what it is it's a it's a it's it's an basically built as a highway patrol car so it's designed to be uh, a car that's designed to be um, a pursuit vehicle so it's designed it, they're talking about it to be a pursuit to obviously get to locations where they need speed um, obviously there maybe they've found that previous models like the stinger and stuff like that you know may not be as well suited as a pursuit vehicle as what the Mustang is. You know, obviously, mm. power and handling and whatever else, maybe because people are already developing these cars and have been developing Mustangs for a while, it makes sense to turn them into a pursuit vehicle um, or a perform or highway patrol car, which needs to be able to get to a location quickly. Um, it, you know, it, people have already been developing these Mustangs, so why not go down that route? You know, there's not a lot of people that are probably de- developing a tracked-focused Stinger or any of those other models. This mm-hmm. makes the logical sense because particularly, obviously, in New South Wales, there's a lot of highway around, and to be able to patrol that and get to somewhere quickly in, in the need of an emergency, uh, it makes sense um, to... To basically to go down this route for that reason. Yeah, well, it's uh, one comment which I did like on the article is um, one that I could probably agree with is uh, one saying that buying one of these after the cops finish it would be worthwhile. Um, which, which could be very much a thing if it's proven its reliability and it's had those those tweaks. It could be like the um, the statement from uh, from the Blues Brothers where it's got cop brakes, cop you know all these modifications. It's uh, it's the one to have um, if well, you're people, buying it used. So people for years, you know, there's actually an interesting group on on Facebook which is a um, a police vehicle uh, sort of fan group uh, that mm. I came across and, and joined, and it's quite interesting. There's a lot of people out there that love buying ex police cars to use as their daily driver um, and then they've gone back and researched and tried to find photos of them when they were in service you know there's there's a passion for you know something unique and something different um yeah it's 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 quite interesting but yeah buying one of these afterwards wow (laughs) i think it'd be quite an interesting um thing to buy and have as a as a as a daily driver um yeah we, we, we haven't touched on it. We'll touch on it briefly, but the other interesting thing that to come out talking about Mustangs for the week is that Ford Performance have um, released, uh, we've been talking about electric, they've created a one-off drag racing car, a Mustang Cobra Jet 1400, which is an all-electric um, prototype. Uh, drag racing cars. Um, interesting to see the, the you know last year at SEMA they rolled out the lithium, which was a 900 horsepower electric car, and now they've done the mm. the Cobra Jet has traditionally been a, a drag racing car with you know petrol powered engine, but now they've created electric version, so something a little bit different. But yeah, it just shows the uh, the passion for the the Mustang Mustang product out there in the world. Oh, absolutely, and it, it's you know like I was saying before, it's. There is a dedicated community to, 
you know those muscle cars those those brands and um yeah it's like we said with the camaro it's just um there's there's a market there for it just uh even if it's changing they they, they want specific things and you've if they don't want if they don't get it they'll um build it themselves so exactly yeah but um look we've just had a a, a piece of news come through into my inbox right now um and it's for queensland actually for COVID 19 we'll be having some um because of the encouraging signs of flattening the curve some restrictions will be eased in queensland from next weekend so next weekend from may 2 um you'll be allowed to go for a drive within 50 kilometers of home ride a motorbike jet ski or boat for or boat for recreation you can have a picnic visit a national park and shop for non-essential items um so outings for a limited to members of the same household or an individual and one friend um, and all rules regarding social gatherings and limits on visitors remain in place but um, that's some great news for a lot of people uh, we were talking about it offline about going for a drive um, and, and going to be able to do you know, um, clear head and everything rather than going for a run or anything like that but, um, but it seems like that's that's encouraging for a lot of people um, to do that. So some good progress and good some good good breaking news for once. Yeah, no, it's good. It, I saw it as well, and uh, it came up in my feed. <laughs> Must have been around the same time as yours did. So yeah, it's interesting <laughs> to see uh, that we're starting to see that talk. There's more and more talk on the positive side now. You know, for so long we've been in the negative about you know stuff's been really hard, but the flattening of the curve, in, in particularly in Australia, Australia is not flattening it there it's literally killing it they've been saying so um yeah it, it, it's good to see that we're, we're starting to see that, that shift into talking about how we come out the other side um mm-hmm. so yeah and hopefully it'll it, as more states do well in their performance uh, i think we'll see that um easing of restrictions um as we as we move move forward <laughs> And I'm I'm really glad it's great timing because I'll have the updated Nissan Patrol Ti next week. So it's, oh, that should be uh, good. I mean, to- I like the look of the new the new design is uh, quite nice on on that um, on the new on the new series Patrol. Yeah. Uh, having driven the last the last. Uh, the previous Gen 1. Um, that engine's brilliant in that thing. It's so much fun mm. to drive. I love a big petrol V8 and a four-wheel drive. So, uh, yeah, it should be quite interesting to see how you go with that, Ash. Yeah, so it's... Um, yeah, well, I'll be able to test it in a in a good spot. So, um, yeah, that's great. <laughs> but we'll um, get back to some of our other news. We do have um, another one of a... Uh, now, I haven't seen this yet, but... Uh, New Yaris Cross SUV from Toyota. Um, seems like an, a bit of an interesting uh, mix of uh, different names into a product. So it seems it actually, based on photos, it actually looks really good. Yeah, um, it's a good, it's a good looking thing. And taking obviously that Yaris, I mean, the SUV sales and around the, are growing every year, and they're getting more, more and more popular. Um, and you know, Toyota are saying that that SUV sales represent almost fifty percent of of new car sales now. Um, so seeing something like the Yaris, it's interesting. I'm intrigued to see where it'll sit in their um, in their market. It's going to be based on their new GAB compact car platform. Um, mm. So it, I, I'm guessing by the looks of it, it's going to sit 
it's going to be smaller than a CHR, um, but it's going to obviously see where it sits. Oh, they're saying it's going to be light. So small is oh, it's light class. Small is CHR. Medium is Rav four. So there. So it's going to mm. sit below CHR. Um, and it's going to so based on the figures which they've got in this um, press release, it's going to be thirty mil higher than the new Yaris. So three centimeters, and then it's. Um, Night, but overall nine centimeters taller and two centimeters wider. Um, so it's only very marginally um, bigger proportionally compared to the the car version of the Yaris. Um, so, so it's kind it's of like certainly going to it's, it's going to be yeah it's, it's in that smaller be, class yeah. So it's kind of like Master Three and CX Three. It, it, it has thinking. to be cheap then if that's going to be yeah. the case. Um, because even the CHR and the RAV4 are, you know, sort of knock on those pricing, so I can't expect it to be too expensive. Um, yeah, so it's well, it's interesting. It's going to be available on petrol and hybrid as well. Um, so I expect the hybrid version to be to be quite popular, and um, it comes at the same time where Toyota announced that they've increased the RAV4 supply. Um, having an extra 8,000 of the RAV4 hybrids arriving in local dealerships from July on top of the top on top of the existing plan supply so that should alleviate um, some of those demand constraints which they've had previously um, and yeah it's probably gonna because I, I expect, or I assume that the RAV4 hybrid is popular not only amongst um, customers um, or consumers, but also fleet as well, um, where the hybrid is quite an attractive option. Oh, you'd have it. to say, so, but for, for fleet numbers, you'd have to say it'd be popular. Um, yeah. it, it would make really good sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. It would make really good sense to to be buying. You know, if you're running a some form of some kind of fleet for, for fuel economy, like the the hybrids make perfect sense. Um, just going back to that Yaris Cross, this looks like there's going to be a hybrid drivetrain version of that, as well as an all-wheel drive system. So, you know, the the hybrid is growing in these SUVs to help um, with fuel economy and stuff like that. So uh, I'd be be worried if, um, you know, the, the REV has been popular. The hybrid was a massive success for them in terms of mm. opening up a new market, excuse me, for SUVs. Um, to be able to do that, so I think yeah, I think uh, the extra eight thousand will be great for for those that have bought one and are waiting in a queue for it to arrive. Yeah, so it's um look, it's it's a good sign, and um, obviously as factories also start to to pick up that um, production capacity again, I think that's will make it easier again as well. In terms of uh, another popular. Um, vehicle that is yet to go on sale is the Tesla Cybertruck. Now we're seeing global pre-orders exceed, I think the last one I saw was 250,000, but I actually think it's it's much higher than that. Um, but the one question which, which we raised um, when we spoke about it previously and um, a lot of people have also raised was the practicality of the design of the Cybertruck. Now, the performance thing is one thing. It looked very promising um, and would would mean that it would compete and, and you know, give other makers of pickup trucks a, a run for their money. But the questions were around the, the stainless steel um, 
body and the the tough glass and everything like that of how practical is it in meeting safety standards, particularly in Europe. And um, obviously, uh, from a, a, a costing point of view and um, just... Yeah, overall, in terms, of my my general thing was safety for pedestrians and also for the occupants. Um, so the latest report that is coming out um, says that the prototype or the the sorry the production Cybertruck will be smaller than the prototype and um, won't have paint. Um, so yeah, this is probably along the lines of which we expect. Elon Musk compared um, or, or confirmed via Twitter of all places that it would be um, smaller by about 3% um, and the uh, center line is more level and lower window sill height. So, but I do, I still have to think that the changes are going to be even more drastic than that because there's no way that I see this being um, acceptable from a safety point of view over in Europe or anything like that where maybe that it's not going to be the biggest market but um i think uh we were, we're talking about it where even though safety standards might not be the number one thing that people talk about but when it when anything does come back with a poor safety rating um it seems to make a lot of headlines um and so i think uh yeah surely they will have to make some further changes to to make this more acceptable for um for the road and even one other thing that people mentioned was that the big flat windscreen um, would cause all sorts of issues for glare um, for other road users. Well, it's interesting. Elon says it himself in one of his tweets. He says, regulatory approval is the big unknown. So exactly, you know, he's saying that the vehicle will come out. He's still saying, still looking good for, for this year. But, you know, the approval from authorities is going to be, is the biggest unknown. So what will actually they allow him to do with it? So, yeah, watch this space because it'll be interesting to follow to see what happens. Which is funny because... Most manufacturers will release a concept, and whilst that concept kind of meets um, general design things, minor things will be changed to tweak it to you know the final production form. But but usually, a lot of manufacturers will clearly label it as a concept, and it won't be you know it's not here's the new um, four series BMW. This is what it's going to be. Um, usually they very clearly label it as a concept and go, this is the inspiration we're taking for the final production version. Where Tesla kind of, you know, and Elon Musk presented it as, this is the Cybertruck, this is what it's going to be, this is what it's going to do, and it's going to be available, pre-orders are open now. And I'm not sure, there's probably going to be a lot of people that still follow through, but do you think that people have been misled a little bit in terms of, you know, what they were shown initially and what people might, get eventually as a final production version, given that they've paid their money um, based on what they originally were sold? Yeah, I think so. Look, you, you just don't know. I mean, the East is wildly different to anything else they've ever created. You know, everything else has kind of been pretty close to finished version. But this thing was very, very different in terms of just 
out of the box just how different and how futuristic it looked um but yeah it'll be interesting to see like you said what the authorities say you know i'm not sure what the situation is with crash approval um over in the u.s i know that here that most stuff will go through you know Mm. um testing and things like that but i'm intrigued to see how that would handle a a front end or even a side impact uh in in that respect but yeah i'm intrigued to see where you're already saying that there will be some changes from that but where actually what it actually looks like when it hits the showroom floors or starts hitting the street i'm very intrigued to see Mm. what changes yeah so this is more of a wait and see kind of thing and um yeah, because we still don't know anything about pricing either. So that's also the next um, unknown for us in the Australian market as well. So we'll file that as to uh, wait and see. But one which we don't have to wait and see for is the... Now, this is a brand that some may not be familiar with, but the Lincoln Navigator for 2020 has been... Um, detailed but not just detailed as in like it's here's a here's a model that's going to arrive in in the u.s market but um it's actually going to be here available in australia but not not as a factory right-hand drive this is actually a right-hand drive conversion um and kind of came unexpectedly for a lot of people yeah, it was news that appeared during the week. Um, the guys over at Cars Guide broke the story um, that the Navigator, and it, but from looks of the photos in the story, there's one already here. It looks like mm. there's a picture of it at a, at a customs holding facility, whether it's here or in the US. Um, but yeah, they're bringing, bringing one here. But the, the Navigator is a brilliant car. It's popular in the US. You know, it's the Ford or slash Lincoln's answer to the to the Suburban um, or the um, Escalade um, from Cadillac. And, yeah, it's a big SUV, multi-row, um, and it's set to, to run, you know, a fairly big engine, 482 kilowatts, 756 newton of torque. Um, with That's the engine that comes out of the... the because it runs the EcoBoost, um, but in this it runs as a 336 with 691 newton meters, um, 10 speed auto, all drive, um, low and high range, which is weird because I wouldn't have thought you'd want <laughs> low range. But again, maybe no. for snow. Um, there's even a longer wheelbase version that's available. Um, I'd assume that you'd have to have some sort of truck or bus license for a vehicle that big. Because, <laughs> now, this is already big to start off with. I think it's yeah. um, people don't realize that if you've seen an Arcadia, that would be dwarfed by um, by one of these. Yeah, and it's you know it's very high sort of tech, high in interior. It's got captions mm. chairs for for the second row. You know, it's pretty impressive. But the scary thing about it is the price tag. They're talking yeah. over 300000 Um Well, I'll say just under 300000 when it hits local showrooms after its conversion, um, which is, you know, oh, you and I were talking before, Ash, that's a lot of money for, for an SUV, but um, but it's a lot of car for the money as well. Yeah, it is. It, it's, uh, I don't know, I, I'd love to see them on the road, but I just don't know at that you know, at that price point, there's a lot of competitors um, and also 
even like private cars and, and limos and everything like that are really kind of moving away from those really expensive top end vehicles like seven series and S classes. And they are going to things like the Genesis, um, where it is slightly more affordable and where they can compete a little bit better, you know, with things like Uber and, and stuff like that. So I, I just don't know who this car is for here in Australia. I just don't, I, as, as excited as I am to see it, I just don't know who will be lining up to buy it because for a little bit, you know, for probably around about the same price, you can get into a secondhand um, Bentayga from Bentley um, or, you know, you can go and step up again to more performance-based or, you know, for that 300000 you can be jumping into a, a, a G-Wagon or a, um, a KN Turbo. So I, yeah, I just. But how many of those don't do, know se- who it's for? do seven seats? This is a seven seater with a third row bench seat, um, and as I said, second row captain's chairs. Who else does a seven seater in that set of size? You know, um, you could always go a Kia Carnival, <laughs> correct? But it doesn't have the presence on road and stuff like no. that. No, yeah. So, but again, I just how many people really need that many seats in a an SUV like that? Because um, also you do have the Mercedes I Class as well. Um, True. So yeah, I, I look. I hope it does well. Um, I think they've they've said that um, the David Potter from Lincoln Australia has said that um, it is a bit of a test case for them, and um, they'll you know they'll be seeing where this goes from. Obviously, Lincoln don't just make um, the the Navigator; they make a number of different um, SUVs and sedans. So yeah, it's um uh, it'd be great. You know, it's another brand that uh, we don't normally see, and um, yeah, hopefully it it does well um, for what they're hoping. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to follow. Um, um, Ash, there, I think we think they're based up your way, don't we? In Queensland, I think you're going to go and have to pay them a visit and check it out. Yeah, I'm going to have to have a poke around and see what I can find up here um, and, and uh, have a look. It seems like even Performax are up here. Um, not sure what Queensland means for why anybody doing conversions likes to do stuff up here, but you know, I'll uh, yeah, I'll have to go and suss it out. Yeah, pay them a visit and check it out once they've got one uh, finished yeah. and uh, and running. That's right. Well, um, and another big American vehicle, the Silverado 1500. So even though HSV is um, slowing down the Camaro, things like the Silverado, I think, seems to be picking up pace again. They've just released uh, pricing details on the on the 1500, which is a um, I guess it's a step below the, the Silverado 2500, which we've seen um, HSV selling since 2018. And um, this 1500 LTZ is a little bit more affordable too. So its pricing um, starts from 113990 So that's um, still not as cheap as I would would like to see it. I think where it really needs to be priced, but it's, um, it's another affordable you know it's a, it's a more affordable price point um for an extremely practical pickup truck so it's um for me it's uh i'm more than welcome um the the new arrival but it's sort of land it's land cruiser money you know you're talking a high spec land cruiser at the end of the day Absolutely. so you know for those that are buying particularly for towing, spec if you need towing yeah, yeah that's that's the it, big thing yeah i think it's quite interesting um and you know even if you want bigger again in terms of towing cap- cap- 
capacity. I don't know whether how it is used to set up, but that whole hook in the tray set up for tra- uh, towing bigger things, um, you know, I think there's a market for there. I mean, once motorsport sort of starts up again and and more people are, are probably going to be driving and towing stuff around to get to events, um, this, sort of, this sort of thing is perfect for towing a, uh, a motorsport trailer and things like that. Lots of space in the back, so once you get to the um, the track, you can move tyres around and things like that and move <laughs> move team members around the track. So, yeah, I think there's a, there's a pretty good potential for it. And 113-plus on-roads isn't bad money for something of this potential yeah absolutely so it's um yeah certainly promising and um yeah it's good to see that they're still moving forwards with these um with these conversions at least even as other things seem to to slow down a little bit um but with the continued success of dodge of course with their ram pickups it's uh obviously showing that there's a bit of movement um a bit of excitement around these um pickup trucks and um we're seeing more so, of that in terms of the flow on now with the new Hyundai Santa Cruz you, uh, that's right. that we're seeing, which has uh, had some pictures appear during the week or some some renders uh, that have been created. Um, it's an interesting looking uh, looking truck. Um, they're talking twin four cylinder engines um, for for it. Um, four wheel drive only, which is not a bad thing. Um, most of the top selling utes are, you know, they have options to buy in two and four wheel versions, but mm-hmm. um, I think simplifying it to four wheel drive only is not a bad thing. Yeah, well, it means that you can come in at a more aggressive price point because your engineering effort has been focused onto one drive type only. Um, but yeah, look, I'm not really in love with the. Uh, the the render i think it looks um yeah a bit reminiscent of uh early 2000s um pontiac and um chevy um and uh yeah (laughs) hopefully uh the hyundai hyundai is done pretty well with their designs lately so hopefully they come with something that looks a little bit better than uh, what's shown in this um in this render um, but yeah, look, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's a great that that segment is just increasing with popularity, and you know, a couple of brands have tried their tried their hand at at building a Ute, even um, Mercedes, and they didn't do it quite well. Um, obviously, the market didn't respond as they had hoped, offering a slightly more premium. But I guess um, this uh, this take will be aiming at offering a lot of value um, at that price point. And, and hopefully adding a little bit more car-like feel to it. I think a lot of um, four-wheel drive utes still feel very much like a truck and don't have a lot of car-like features that um, I think a lot of families would like to see in that. Um, and even, you know, things like the, the Silverados and the, and the Rams do have those car-like features built in, even though they are monstrous in size. So, um, yeah, we'll... I guess it's one of those things we're still waiting to see and it's great to see more information flow out and, you know, even have these uh, these renders come through to, you know, to give us an idea what direction they could be heading in. Um, but until we start to see some spy shots come through of, you know, of these um, vehicles should, you know, give us a better idea of, you know, what angle they're going for because they have, um, they have said that it, they aren't wanting to make this like a lifestyle 
ute or anything like that um, because they did do a Santa Fe-based concept around that idea of a number of years ago. Um, and even though that apparently will go into production as next year as well, they're saying that this isn't going to be that type of um, that type of ute. So again, we'll just have to sit tight and wait a little bit longer for that. Um, but as we touch on some more international news, this is probably the coolest thing of the week that I've seen. Um, and a lot of Porsche owners of classic Porsches are going to be very happy about this. Um, and that's the what they're calling the Porsche Classic Communication Management System. And what this is, you might remember a few years ago, um, Porsche released an updated radio CD player for a lot of the earlier 911 models um, from the 1960s and the 1970s, um, allowing owners to retrofit a, a more modern player and to replace their tape player and everything that's in there with a, with a unit that matches the design style rather than having to go aftermarket. But what they've done now has actually released a one DIN and two DIN, which means which is just the dimensions, um, which fits the styling of 911 models from the 1960s all the way through to to the 993 and the 996, um, with these new radio units that actually support digital radio and Apple CarPlay and Bluetooth. Um, yeah, which is so. Cool. And the way that they've done the designs, we'll have the photos up, match exactly um, the interior design for it. Now, it's not cheap. Now, they're saying that the the management system, depending on which, there's two different variants which they have, um, but it's either going to be $2,600 or $2,900, but it's available from... um, from your Porsche dealer, you can have them install it for you. And um, once it's done, plug in your phone and you're good to go. You've, you'll have Apple Maps, Google Maps, Waze, um, and you won't need to have any sort of uh, phone mount or anything, any ugly, any other ugly bits um, in there. So, yeah, it's that's really cool. Yeah, it's great. It looks really good. And the photos, that, uh, as I said, we'll share online. It, it looks really good, but even the smaller units, like the, the single one-din units with the smaller yeah. screen on it, they actually look quite good. I mean, sure, the screen is a lot smaller, so but you can still obviously see all your logos from your, your CarPlay and your mm. Android Auto, but it just looks really, really good in the system. There's yeah. obviously a, a separate device that needs to be created for some of them to be able to have a smaller box to plug in your cables and stuff like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, the money for that set of for that and what it'll give you, and it's... It's a custom, it's obviously a Porsche branded thing so that, you know, you can have it fitted by your dealership. It's going to have warranty and everything else in it. It's going to be designed to work work with your car. Um, Mm. Yeah, well done, Porsche. This is a great idea. Uh, I'd love Mm. to see some, you know, I think we might even see other brands start doing this sort of idea. Yeah. you know, Ferrari could be next to Lamborghini, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, 
yeah, I think it's it's really cool to go back that far with the models um, to be able to create. Um, mm. Yeah, look, the single DIN for the classic Porsche owners, <laughs> the single DIN unit looks really, really good. You know, it sits into the into the dash. Um, mm. I think someone will probably come up and create an idea at some stage to put a bit of a, you know, a Porsche logo or something in that into that screen as a screensaver yeah. or something like that. Um, I think it'll uh, it'll you know it'll mm. it'll probably do quite well. Yeah, and and the so the best thing is is that it it's. I think Porsche are really the only only brand that have come back and done this for anything, um, even historically, uh, for their for their cars, and it just shows how many cars of theirs are still on the road and and been actively driven, not just locked away in um you know in a garage left to left to sit and look pretty and not be driven. But it's just the breadth of the compatibility. So it's from the very first 911 models all the way through to the 996 911, and even the um, the the two DIN model is compatible with the 986 Boxster, so the first edition, first generation Boxster as well. Um, so that's just awesome. And I do kind of feel sorry for um, 997 owners and other Boxster and Cayman um, second generation owners who are kind of stuck in that awkward phase now of not having CarPlay. They're really the only generations of um, Porsche sports cars that can't have um, CarPlay now. So I find that quite funny. Yeah. Um, that you can have a an older Porsche but still have better connectivity than uh, than uh, the newer generation. <laughs> but yeah. it's so cool. So, so cool. Yeah, no, it's really, really cool. Um, so moving, moving on from there, we're talking about... With- Today's been very much about electric cars and stuff like that. Mm. Subaru and Toyota have teamed, and we know they've teamed in the past, obviously, with the 86 and the BOZ, to develop an electric SUV, um, and it has a name. It'll be the, called the Subaru Evoltus. Um, and looking at the photos, it looks very RAV4-ish a little bit, doesn't it, Ash? Yeah, it's like someone mashed together a RAV4 and the Tesla Cybertruck. And also, um, actually, a bit of the marquee as well. Yeah, so, and if we're going to continue along with it, a, a hint of Jaguar I-Pace. Yes, correct. I can see that um, as well, yeah. But, yeah, look, it's it's obviously it's, it's still in concept form and they've, you know, we were saying they've made it very much clear that um, the, the bodywork that, you know, the thing that they've shown off so far is um, the concept version, but um, but seems like they're pretty pretty much set to, to keep moving forwards with um, the development. They're saying that the maximum output would be about 213 kilowatts, which is pretty impressive, and um, four-wheel drive capable and um, a range reportedly of up to about 500 kilometers. So it seems like a fairly solid offering, and um, because it's super out, expected to be fairly moderately, you know, not not super cheap, but not outrageously expensive. No, it'll be well, I think it'll be well-priced in the market. Um, Subaru Australia hasn't confirmed whether it'll come here, but it's too early days, really, for them to 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 confirm on that. It's not saying it's going to have its world debut until at least the end of next year. Um, and with COVID stuff, that could be pushed back further. But it's good to see that they're, you know, Toyota and Subaru are working on another vehicle together. I mean, the success of, obviously, like we said, the, the 86 and the BAZ has mm. been quite good. So I'm intrigued to see what this will do. I mean, I know that now Subaru are working with a... They've got a hybrid Forester as well now. Um, you know, I think it's it's interesting tech to see 
them working on and intrigued to see what it brings to us in the market here. Yeah. And in the meantime, it just sounds like the name just sounds a little bit like a uh, a villain from a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to see more. It's um particularly with these when we're talking, you know, more affordable electric cars. Um, but next up on the news, it seems like a few sneaky photos and renders have slipped out for the new Hilux. Um, slightly updated, it seems. Nothing too drastic, but um, just a, overall, I guess, a, a slight update that uh, brings the overall design language in line with um, some of the new models that have, have launched um, recently. Yeah, look, it's, a, it's an interesting design. The, the thing I picked up that I noticed on some of the renders that the wheels that it looks like it's got on it are actually the wheels that are on the RAV4, <laughs> yeah. which I thought was a bit different. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the, it's obviously a progression design from what Toyota have been doing with their previous models. Um and it's obviously just the, the Hilux has developed every year. It's got sharper, nicer lines every generation. Yeah. Uh, like we were talking about earlier with other vehicles that as models change, like the A3, every generation has a, a, has a, has a, a different design and it becomes uh, not necessarily cleaner, but just... Um, that, uh, that the potential for it to be, you know, that little bit more modern looking. Um, and this is definitely a, a, a really nice um, update. Um, I really like the wheels in a couple of the renders, not the, the RAV4 design wheels, but the, the other deeper mm-hmm. dish style. They kind of look like a general concept car wheels, but the yeah. front end I'm really liking on the, on the, on the Hilux. The, the, it looks like an even more aggressive front end. Um, really nice looking with the LED lights and everything as well. So, um, yeah, it it's, looks like an interesting thing. I think the current plan for the model is due to have a refresh about the middle of the year. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see, um, you know, the this on, you know, the current sort of higher spec models like the the rugged, the rugged X, and the Rogue. Um, yeah. I think uh, you know the design on those is really really nice, and I think if we do a version of if they do a version of this with that, I think it'll be uh, it'll be quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, so it's um yeah, I guess. Uh Minor updates, always nice um, to keep things fresh. And, um, yeah, it's uh, hopefully the, they're accurate. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, but I think anything, even no matter what they do, I think the, the next generation of it, like, mm. you know, you look at the Camry, for example, every year that has changed. It's got better and better. The Corolla yeah. now, look at that. So I think you, you, I think it'll be whatever it'll, it'll be. It'll be mm. a really nice upgrade or, you know, design progression from the previous generation and i think look uh leaks these days tend to be mostly accurate when we have ended up with some sort of render um i can't remember the last time we had an outrageously inaccurate um leak um renders obviously a different thing but yeah leaks of these sort tend to be straight out of some sort of um documentation or anything like that so you can be pretty uh, pretty confident that the uh, final design is going to be fairly similar to to what you're seeing yeah exactly uh but let's have a look at uh, i've got a couple of motorsport stories um we did start talking about the 
shifts, uh, you know, the silly season starting with Formula One uh, drivers. But one thing we didn't get to mention last week was, um, so Aston Martin is returning as a, as a Formula One team. And um, Toto Wolff obviously is team principal of the Mercedes-AMG Formula One team. But um, he seems to have just recently bought shares in the Aston Martin brand itself, so that seems to have been interesting. There was a bit of talk, I think, about um, whether we could see Toto Wolf switching from Mercedes to Aston Martin. Obviously, if you have shares in in, in another brand, it, it, it could be a good hint. But um, it seems like there's um, they've confirmed that, yeah, there's still, uh, you know, um, he's, he's committed to at least the Mercedes racing team for the, for the, for the time being. Yeah, he's good friends with um, uh, with, with Stroll, with Lawrence Stroll, mm. um, who is head of the what will become the new Aston Martin racing team, and and there's talk that um, I think it'll be interesting to see. Toto's always looking at moving well, to what his future will hold. So I would not be surprised that, you know, there's been whispers that brands will pull out of F1, and if Mercedes were ever to pull out. Or, and he would leave. I think he would probably move to Aston. Mm. But I think the other option, I think being involved here is I think that he could become more heavily involved with Aston Martin as a from the road car side, from from that yeah. brand. Um, but Wolf has said that it is- Because you can't forget that Wolf does own like 30% of the current Mercedes team as well. So you can't really think that um, it's worth remembering that in the back of your mind as well when people you know, talk about the switch- you know, even at yeah. least in the next couple of seasons. Well, the other thing is that Wolf has said that the investment is a personal one. So it's a mm. personal investment. So it's probably a financial investment more than a business investment. Yeah. So, but, you know, it, it's in- interesting interesting to see that in terms of, what um, you know, what he's, what he's doing in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, just looking outside of um, Mercedes for other business ventures. Yeah, absolutely. And he has known to make a couple of different stakes at a different time. I think he had about 16% of Williams at one point as well, but he's since sold, st- since sold that. And um, you probably say that was probably probably good um, from an investment point of view, looking at the shape of Williams at the moment. Um, but yeah, look, it's there's with no racing happening at the moment, I think uh, everyone's looking at the, the back end, the, the organizational side of things, which... Never gets overlooked, but I guess there's a lot more focus on that right now, given that we don't have a lot of other Formula One happening at the moment. So um, every whisper, every every movement is um, is sort of yeah looked at ultra closely, and um, yeah, someone has to write something. So uh, yeah, that's what we're looking at at the moment. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see that. I mean, and, and obviously talking about. Um, you know the world of motorsport. Um, we talked a little bit before about. I've been watching the World FIA World Rallycross mm. E Series, but they've also announced that they were talking about going to an electric class um, in the not too distant future. So there's always been talk about the electric electric in motorsport as you know, obviously seeing Formula E being. Uh, the the main category um, yeah. there's a there's an electric I-Pace championship the Jaguar are running as well mm-hmm. but the rallycross there was talk for a while that they were going to go into some form of electrification and um, it's going to be a class so it won't take over the main series at this stage but mm-hmm. they were planning on trying to push it into 
2021, but they've now announced that that's been pushed to 2022. Um, so that because it's just a little bit too hard to try and develop these vehicles at the moment. But yeah, it's interesting to see that. I'm intrigued to see what it'll be like. Haven't been around an electric um race car the the car that was run at dakar that also that um was run at uh the fink a couple of years ago uh it's interesting to see the the vehicle and how it works for rallycross it could be quite interesting because it, it doesn't need to be you know the heats aren't very long they're usually sort of eight or you know eight or ten or twelve laps so mm-hmm. the potential for an electric world world rallycross car is excuse me, quite interesting and the ability to maybe have hot swappable batteries depending on how quickly they're turning the cars around. Um, yeah, I'm intrigued by that, but it'll, it'll look like it'll be pushed in a, another year. Um, there's other talk of there's another electric series that's coming out that's going to be more like an electric Dakar series. Um, they're talking mm. about that that's building as well. There's more brands that are looking at getting involved uh, in, in that as a... As a um, as a manufacturer, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to see this electric talk growing as well. But obviously, development is being pushed in these current times as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's um, you you've you've listed a couple of other um bits of uh, motorsport news in here. There's one uh, looking at Ambrose. Um, yeah, Cam- it's been. Being- being announced uh, this morning, actually, that Marcus yeah. Ambrose will return to supercars, but in the E series, um, uh, the, the supercar E series, which will be again happening again this Wednesday. Um, they've already got a render out of Marcus's car, and it's obviously got Pertex signage similar to what he yeah. used to run. But he's going to be running a Mustang, which is great to see. Um, so yeah, that's great. Um, we didn't get to touch on it last week, but Simona de Silvestra ran in. Um, last week's uh, supercar series along with mm-hmm. Will Power. Um, so we're seeing really, really more wildcard appearance in the supercars because it's easy. It's, it's easy to create a wildcard series for right, the yeah. Z series than it is to go and have to build a separate car and find sponsors. Yeah. And So it's great to see. And as a result, this week's racing is going to be really packed because Joey Logano is going to be racing and he's a NASCAR driver that drives for... Um, uh, for um, Penske in the US. So mm-hmm. it's going to be great to see he's running. Um, Walkinshaw Andretti are doing a swap. Uh, Chaz is going to go and drive an IndyCar this week, <laughs> virtually in the US. Yeah, cool. And Alexander Rossi, who's an ex IndyCar Indy 500 winner and raced at Bathurst last year. Alex is going to mm-hmm. go make an appearance um, this week in the Supercar Series. Alex has also been racing in the iRacing uh, Rallycross Series as well, and it actually has been doing really really well so I'm intrigued to see how Alex goes um, in this week's racing um, mm. and yeah it's it's quite interesting to see um, that more and more people there uh, that they're trying to get in people have been saying they'd love to see uh, Lando Norris um, have a go as well yeah um, that'd be pretty cool um, but yeah so this week um, we're off to we're round four we're happening um, so yeah I'm intrigued to see what uh, how these guys go because this week we're running at um, uh, where are we I've thought I had it in front of um, but yeah this year this week we're running another 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 
another couple of races. Um, but yeah, with these extra drivers running, um, I'm intrigued to see. You know, <laughs> the action at Bathurst was was huge. Um, there were a couple of really big crashes. So um, and yeah, it's it's quite interesting to see. Um, you know what what's happening and and i'd love to see more guys from the u.s or from europe even come in to to do it i'm intrigued to see how Chaz goes um in indycar um and i'm pretty sure that um both of those will uh will be very interesting and uh to to see mm. and keep an eye on what they're doing so um yeah well yeah it's going to be another pumped up week of as, as you as, as you mentioned at the start of the podcast it's the number of virtual events is um is huge so it's uh there's always every day there's something to to watch at all hours um of the uh of, of the week so it's um and there's yeah, one, and the good, one and the good one. thing is is it's all prime time so it's literally yeah. it's it's late of an evening or it's early early morning um yeah sorry um, here's the data i was looking for they're running montreal and watkins Glen this week yeah um so you know jerry logano's already run both of those um in nascar career um mm-hmm. so yeah i'm intrigued to see what that is but yeah as you're saying there's another series kicking off um tonight um, being Sunday, um, which which we'll give you a report on next week because I intend to to stay up and watch that because uh, again it's another series. So this is going to be the SRO Esport GT series. Uh, for those that are not sure, SRO uh, is the Stephen Rattel organisation, which is the governing body behind a lot of the endurance racing in Europe. They're also the one behind the ruling at the Bathurst Twelve Hour as well, um, and they're going to be running their e-series but again they're running on a gaming console setup with Assetto Corso Competition which is the official GT World Challenge uh, racing game um, it is available it is great. I've got um, I've got Assetto Corso the non-competition version and um, it is for physics one of the best racing simulators are out there and um, this dedicated version and you can you can go out and buy it and download it yourself I think it's uh, it's available on PC it's coming out on Xbox and um, PlayStation, I think if it's not out already, it's coming out shortly. Is you had an Xbox um, very, very soon? Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's brilliant. It, its graphics uh, are great, and um, it's one of those if you're kind of in, you know, starting to get a little bit more serious about your. Um, simulation setup you know you're playing with the steering wheel and you want to take the next step further this is a really good intermediary step before you start going into i guess the more hardcore like i racing and everything like that um but yeah this is this is great given that this is the official um uh one of the official gt world challenge games as well um yeah this is great it's gonna be very good I'm intrigued. I can't wait to try and get into and have a go at the game, but the entry list is impressive. They're going to be running um, the series um, will be running like majority of brands. So Aston Martin are running five pro series entries, four silver entries. Audi are running five pro, four silver. Bentley, six pro and eight silver. BMW, Mm. two pro and four silver. Ferrari, seven pro and five silver. Lamborghini, six and seven. Lexus, four silver. McLaren, six pro and four silver. Um, 
Jensen Button will be driving for McLaren. Um, yeah. This week will be interesting. Mercedes are running five and four. Nissan's running a pro. And Porsche running six and four. Um, so it's really, really impressive to see. Um, it should be really, really um, good to watch. There, there's a whole... Um, uh, lead-up series in terms of qualifying and, and stuff like that. So um, they're going to be five-race five championship. Um, so it'll be really good to watch. So, yeah, it's going to be live tonight, Australian time, um, and we'll bring you a, a review next week on, on what happened. Um, so, yeah, I'm intrigued. It's a, another interesting series to, to mm-hmm. watch. Well, that's right. And um, look, if you're wanting to have a bit of fun, we've um, come across a few different things. And one, actually, I, I can't get the link to work, um, but it's one. It's from, uh, of all places, Budget Direct uh, on their blog. They, um, they've they linked up uh, an article which talks about eight different car manufacturers if and, um, and if they made a ute. And um, I think there's a, there's a, I can't see it right now, but there's a, there's a couple of um, really qu- kind of, Good renders in there, but Joel, what if if any brand um, which doesn't currently make a Ute could make a Ute? What brand would you like to see, and what car? Uh, yeah, look, would you like it to be based off. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting that there's not many that this little piece that they put together was quite interesting, and they've done it before. Budget Direct actually did a couple of years ago. They created modern day rally cars, Group B rally cars, and and stuff like that. So there's not a lot that that really aren't being. Um, that don't already have a you know sort of Honda have one in the US that we don't get which is pretty cool which I like um, Audi are mentioned in this piece and their Ute looks pretty good um, I think there's a Ferrari one as well um, so there's not a lot of brands that, that don't really do something I'd love to see Chevrolet or someone else do a Ford mm. create a, a new Ute that's based off more a, a road a road car, um, yeah. like the old El Camino from from Chevrolet's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it's quite interesting to see um, thinking outside that box and and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, BMW there was they made that concept a couple of years ago as an April Fool's Day joke, and then they actually made it. Um, Honda have done a concept once before of a Type R Type Ute. Um, so yeah, there's you can almost imagine that anyone can kind of create one now based off any model. Um, That's right. So yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite interesting to see um, uh, you know what these um, these manufacturers are thinking. But yeah. Uh, having a, a ute that's not made by someone uh, as a concept is always pretty mm. cool yeah it's um look I, i'd love to see uh bmw have always done a good job with uh building utes whether it's for um uh, an april fool's day or even um built by some of their uh, their apprentices um as a as a parts runabout they've, they've run a few, quite a few years ago when they showed off that M3 Ute that they um they had a couple of E30 Utes running around which they're um at that particular point in time their their apprentices and, and trainees had built as a parts running vehicle between the plants and um, rumor is that there's still a few of them running around now as those part runners um but yeah I seeing some of those car based Utes yeah it's it'd be nice to see some of those things return again. Um, given that they, you know, the Holden and, and Ford 
with their with their utes respectively did a really good job and they were really quite popular because they offered a whole heap of comfort but obviously exploded um with the uh, with the amount of practicality they had compared to to other um you know station wagons and things like that but yeah once that blog post starts working again um yeah i'd love to see the more of the their renders which they've made because yeah, it's so always, there was a, there was always a, good fun there was an Audi one. There was one based on a Dodge um, Charger, um, mm. a Renault based off a Megane, um, mm. Ferrari based off the Portofino, uh, a Tesla one based off the Model uh, 3, uh, Rolls-Royce Ghost based one, um, an Integra uh, based one, and then a Chevy Camaro based one. So quite interesting design in, in terms of just some thinking outside the box of some brands that we don't ever seem to think. But, yeah, quite uh, quite cool in terms of what they created. Absolutely. Well, um, to, to get creative, if you've got kids or if you've got a little bit of time, which, you're, um, which you've got spending uh, at home in looking for something different to do Mazda have um, just like a few other car manufacturers at the, at the same time they've uh, they've created a, an art hub um, which has a whole heap of uh, colouring um, images for you to download and print out and um, and to work on and have some fun so it's uh, great for the kids or great for the grown ups looking after those kids or who feel like a kid themselves um, they've got a whole heap of different uh, classic models as well as some of the futuristic ones so they've got you know, Cosmo and the Mazda 323 one of the original ones RX-8 all the way through to um, their RX Vision concept car so it's yeah if you're looking for something else to do and, and um even if you own one of these cars and you want to make it look like your own, uh, it's a not a bad way to sp- spend some time and fill it in. Yeah, the build your own's cool. I always like that idea. Um, I've yeah. got a friend that's a uh, graphic designer that um, has been creating some stuff for one of the car shows um, uh, over in the UK, and they created a build your own um, build your own like again that sort of print your car out build your own design um and you he was basically it was based on i'm pretty sure it was based on a fiat from memory Mm -hmm. um and which was which was pretty cool to see and it was um interesting design and and yeah he uh then created a custom one for a friend that had the same car but needed a different paint job so um sam over at motor inc is uh quite a good good passionate car guy but very clever when it comes to to car stuff so um yeah it's uh, it is interesting to see. So it's good to see Master creating these. I need to go back and have another look and uh, and have a look at those. And I think I might have to print one out during the week <laughs> and uh, and spend some time having a bit of a play with one. So yeah, it's, um, and look, if coloring isn't your thing. Um and given that we can't travel overseas at the moment, there's um, uh, quite a few museums have actually made um, or have made available a virtual tour of their museum. So um, the list of um, brands that I've got in front of me include Audi, Honda, McLaren, Mazda, Mercedes, uh, Lamborghini, the National Corvette Museum, Pagani. Just stop you there, Ash. On the Corvette Museum, the Corvette one I've actually been to before and had a play with, they actually allow you to go into the sinkhole when they had that accident a couple of years ago. Wow, and the sinkhole cool. s- s- uh, s- um, sucked in a couple of cars. So, yes, yeah, so it's uh, pretty cool to be able to do that. <laughs> 
yeah, that uh, yeah, I've seen some good photos from there, so I'll have to check that out myself. Um, but yeah, so going off the list: Peterson Automotive Museum, Porsche, Skoda, the Henry Ford Museum, Toyota, and of course the the Volvo Museum. Um, so it's a pretty good list, um, and uh, not a bad way you could probably uh, sink some hours into um, exploring those different brands, particularly uh, when traveling internationally isn't really on the cards for the net foreseeable future. So, yeah, it's a pretty cool way to be able to go and have a look um, in terms of I need to go and have a look at the uh, a closer look at the Peterson one. I've been there before. They were doing some stuff through the vault. Uh, I'm intrigued to go and have a look to see what's there because that's obviously a rotating uh, display for them. So I'm intrigued to see what uh, is on display on the floor at the moment than what's in the, in the vault because the vault tour is pretty cool and you're not allowed to take photos down there. So the fact that they're doing virtual tours is uh, pretty amazing. Mm. And what's I have to, I haven't quite been able to figure out, but it seems like um, Audi, um, you have to make a booking because I actually have a guide take you through it. Um, ah, that's cool. So I, I have to look at it. It's a bit the website. I'll be honest, isn't super clear but yeah you can register for a live stream session um where they take you through which i think is pretty cool um but i'm just trying to click through to 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 work out yeah so um yeah each tour seems to take about half an hour and um yeah looks like they actually take you through it so that's that's really cool yeah that is really cool I have to uh, add that to the list of things to try and do sometime this week when I'm yeah, not watching some iRacing or uh, trying to get some work done. That's right. Well, um, look, uh, I think we've, we've spoken through most things. There's there's quite a bit of news that we didn't get to speak about. Um, but, look, if you, as always, if you have any questions or would like us to, to review something in particular or just want to say g'day, um, you can always uh, send us an email at shows at dailyautofix.com or follow any of us and send us a message via um, via social media. So you've, uh, I'm Ash and you can you can follow everything that I'm doing at dailyautofix.com um, and at dailyautofix or if uh, you want to see uh, all of the work that uh, Joel's doing and some of the behind the scenes um, insights, you can also follow him at Joel Strick Photo. But uh, thanks again, Joel. It's uh, good to have you along, and um, we'll all be back, including Mick, uh, next week for another week of news discussion. And, um, yeah, until then, we'll see you next week. See you next week.